If you're looking for the best horror, thriller, sci-fi and WTF audio fiction this side of the apocalypse, then you should listen to The Other Stories. With over 500 stories on the podcast feed already and news stories dropping every single Monday morning, The Other Stories is your new best friend. Check out The Other Stories today on any and all podcast platforms or head to theotherstories.net. After all, these aren't the stories your mother used to tell you. These are The Other Stories. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to the Horror Hangout, a podcast where film fans watch the best and worst horror movies of all of all time <laughs> and talk about them. Jump scare. My name is Ben Errington, and today I'm joined by a very special guest, Colin G. Cooper, an acclaimed director, editor, occasional producer based in Toronto, Canada. His upcoming short film, Bath Bomb, a queer giallo film, has just been funded on Indiegogo. Uh, if you listen to the podcast, you'll recognize his voice and face from a recent bonus episode where we discussed the short film in detail. Welcome to the show, Colin. Hello. Hi. Hi there. You're back. You are back. It's just it's just the two of us today. No Andy, usual co-host. He's been struck down uh, by the flu or possibly a, a jalo killer of, of some gloves, oh. some gloved hands. Uh, yep. came into his house and, and razor bladed his throat and ripped a hole in his t-shirt <laughs> he randomly decided to change from one white t-shirt to another one right when the killer mid killing scene and kind of like did it but held it right up like that <laughs> this is nice uh, uh yeah so we are we are going to be talking talking jello so when colin kindly joined us for a bonus episode recently to 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 to, to to talk about Bath Bomb, uh, we did talk about his love of Jalo, and in particular, this movie, Tenebrae, uh, directed by Dario Argento. So great to have a Jalo expert on. And and we've mentioned before that Jalo is something, a subgenre that we haven't covered all that much on this podcast, near 300 episodes of podcast. In fact, on our first correspondence with you, our first correspondence with you, you I think you were keen to point that out, weren't you, that we yeah, covered... Absolutely. Yeah, I think it was it was an attack, if anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a straight up attack. Um, because I think you said that we'd covered uh Suspiria, which which yeah. isn't necessarily considered a shallow. It's weird though, because I think the horror community as a whole might 
if you didn't know so much about it, they might kind of push that into the giallo. Yeah. In terms of purists or like the academic community, it's not, it has the same visual language that Argento Mm -hmm. brought from giallo. And probably one of the reasons that it was so unique as a supernatural horror and became his most well-known film is because it had those elements, which would have been completely new to people not familiar with giallo, but it's not, you know, it's not a murder mystery and Mm. There's many other elements lacking from it that that would have made it a giallo. Slashers are more like the giallo mm, yeah. children that that we all know. I love the I did really love the murder mystery element of the film we're discussing today. That was yeah. very because it wasn't a standard murder mystery. Of course, we will be spoiling the film when we get into the uh, nitty nitty gritty of it. But yeah, it wasn't a standard sort of. Um, I think I was even I was confused a few times. Like, wait, what? is this what's happening what's going on and then and then it kind of it revealed itself and i understood but still a really good mystery and one that one that i enjoyed sort of watching unfold um and then you mentioned of course that we we have covered pieces as well which i guess has got yes. jello elements as well that's right isn't it yeah some people consider a spanish jello i mean it's mm. it's, a, it's 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 a jello that is <laughs> into the more like slasher territory mostly because of the time that it was made but again people who are like purists for some reason which i actually don't agree with don't consider anything made by non-italians giallo Mm, which i think is silly you know i see well yeah half italian are you half italian this is not pure giallo please don't talk to me how rude um, but yeah, obviously what we discussed last time you were on the episode was Bath Bomb, the short film, the short queer jalo film, uh, yeah. which is now, it has fully funded on Indiegogo. However, it's still accepting, um, yeah, funds, so isn't it? Because, <clears throat> because we met our goal, we're now into the in-demand Ooh. thing on Indiegogo. Very so nice. we can keep it open indefinitely. And, uh, oh. Um, so we're going to to raise additional funds because yeah it's going to be expensive and um, you know we went into it into the campaign with like this the 25,000 US dollars was what we needed to make it but Mm -hmm. we can make it on a higher level if we have additional funds and our aim is to make it on the highest level possible not just because why wouldn't you? But also because in the process of, you know, everything going on at the same time, the campaign was happening at the same time as we were like bringing people on. We amassed kind of some bigger folks uh, on the team. I mentioned last time I was on our cinematographer. Jeremy Benning is, you know, a big cinematographer, did Cabinet of Curiosities and The Boys and The Expanse and, and such. Our newest development it's not where it's not like officially signed and stamped, uh, but I'll talk about it anyway. Maybe I'll jinx it. But uh, <laughs> we have some pretty interesting props in the in the um, oh. in the in the movie. So um, I've been chatting with um, the team at uh, Walter Clausen, um, and they do props primarily for, or they're primarily known for doing props for Guillermo del Toro. Um, they oh, also okay. built all the weird uh, 
machinery type stuff in um, Crimes of the Future, the Cronenberg movie that, oh, okay. that like the weird yeah, yeah, yeah. thing that he is inside <laughs> of for a surgery and the bed that he's in and the chair that he eats. You know, they built they built all that stuff. Oh wow! Um, they did props for the It movies. Nice. Okay. So you're speaking, so you're getting some props made for yeah, some, some custom stuff. I just ordered some stuff uh, that we need to experiment with. I'm going to bring it over to them once it's delivered to me, and then we're going to see what we can. That's cool. That's cool. See what we can do, and hopefully they'll be our our props team for. The- it's all happening. It's all happening. Any developments on on cast? I know we spoke. It's only been a couple of weeks, isn't it? So. Sadly, not um, submitted the the paperwork necessary. We're, we're going to cast union, and we submitted the paperwork necessary to to sign on with the union, and are just waiting mm. on them. So, Actra Is... Union, if any of you guys are watching this, respond to my friggin' email. Please respond I, to the respond to Colin's now. emails. God, yeah, no, don't no. leave him on red. The, Is yeah, it just they, a... they respond to you very quickly in the early stages when you know you're figuring out oh what are all the things that i need to fill out paperwork wise they're on the ball they're on it yeah fill out the paperwork and you're looking for like the little stamp of approval so you can actually engage with casting director crickets <laughs> crickets <laughs> oh yes i love that crickets is what that's one of my favorite <laughs> favorite turns of phrase what's that <laughs> crickets over there yeah um is it just the two roles indeed it is yeah it is yeah okay so small cast as well interesting interesting looking forward to it looking forward to it and uh excited that it's all that it's all coming together i guess like for details about that and i guess of the all the inspiration behind the film please go and check out the bonus episode i'll put the link to that in in the show notes but yeah it is a short film a queer jalo film um and yeah as you as you can hear just the two just the two um characters as well so a very what did you say? Peeps, two peeps. Peeps, just them two peeps in it. Now, now I've said I like crickets. I dislike peeps as a turn of phrase just as much. <laughs> That's why I use it. Uh, I do peeps. <laughs> oh, you've done it ironically. That's what yeah. you've done there. I see. I see what you've done there. Uh, crickets. So, <laughs> so, um. Yeah, so ch- so check out everything about the film there. I guess what I would say is how is Tenebrae specifically in, like influenced you as as a director and in terms of what you're going to apply to Bath Bomb, would you say? Giving it a rewatch again for this podcast. I mean, Tenebrae was one of the um was one of the uh I think I I think I mentioned on the previous podcast that when I first started watching giallo I, it was kind of almost like looking over my shoulder <laughs> in, in, the, in the theater being like nobody else recognize how queer these movies are like all okay. of them and this one was definitely one of those this one's a little bit more obvious right because the, the the uh there's openly queer characters where it's not hidden and there's no subtext like the mm-hmm. the queer couple one of whom's a lesbian the other one's bisexual and the, the yep. fight that goes on there and the the talk about homosexual characters in the interview with with uh bertie the tv host character yeah yeah being the kill well the first of kill the two killers and mm-hmm. um and argento specifically not just in this film but in most of his giallo films he likes to subvert gender expectations 
Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, so that just contributed to my overall fascination with the genre as having so many queer elements, especially given the time that most of them are made. This is a later one, Tenebrae, but most were made in the late 60s and the first half of the 70s. Yeah. Bizarre that they almost all have multiple queer characters that are integral to the plot. And there was so much queerness going on and but they all seem to be made by straight people so that was the part of my initial fascination that made me want what, what, what do lesbian me. couples do well they definitely argue and uh, uh there should be one of them uh pretty much naked at all times on the stairs and that is, that is one of my favorite characters in all of Jell, marion because yeah. she, there are no scenes where her left nipple isn't visible <laughs> that's true her left Even nipple at the in bar, the first, yeah. first time that you meet her it's just out <laughs> so i noticed Nobody the nipple was out correct. then the nipple the nipple was completely gone but then when yeah. she turned to walk away it came out so yeah. it's almost like the left nipple is as big a and character then, and standing at the top of the top of the stairs in the towel it's the same rest it's yeah. so and, and then later when she turns off the record same rest it's just like she can't she's see. inexplicably soaking wet as well yeah. <laughs> because she's drying herself with a sheet that's what she's doing that's the reason why she's soaking wet you need to get yourself a, a nice a nice nice towel that soak yeah. up the moisture much better i like the fact she's listening to the soundtrack to tenebrae as well yeah. um and we are going to get into this but i know there's a bit of an argument about her potentially like sleeping with somebody before the argument happened. but then the like um the coroner guy like says that she had like slept yeah. with somebody right well, yeah, she had. That's why in the argument, she's, she tells Tilda that, you know, he was better in bed than she was. I've, I thought she was on the wind-up. I thought she no. was just just being mean. No. But it's true. Oh, yeah. Well, maybe I respect <laughs> Maybe I respect this character uh, even more so then. Because uh, when did when did Jallo, like, sort of pretty much, dis- not disappear, but, you know, start to... When was, like, the last... Well, a lot, of considered, movies, but... a lot of people considered Deep Red kind of like the high point of Jell and yeah. then also kind of the last word on it. And after that, you know, it kind of lost popularity to other um, to other subgenres. But. Because um, there is an actual movie by Dario Argento called Jello, called... isn't there? Yeah. From 2009 with. Yeah, it's not a good movie, but. Oh, OK. No, no offense to, to Dario Argento, he's a legend, but he kind of after there's I mean, there's debate over what his last great movie was. A lot of people say it was Tenebrae. Um, but mm-hmm. in 1982, two of the, the biggest names, arguably the two biggest names in Jello, both made one after having not made one for a while. Uh, Argento, he made Tenebrae and then Lucio Fulci made the New York Ripper. And a lot of people <laughs> consider, you know, Giallo had already kind of died off. And then the both of those coming out the same year was like the, that was the <laughs> ending. That was the, the death. They, oh. they were both good movies, but it was like, it was, they were, it was almost like they were so good that they showed how shitty the other one, everybody else's had become since 1975. And they're like, yeah, yeah this it's over. This is the end of Giallo. But then Argento kept, kept making them and he made some other good ones. Like I think opera is a very good movie. Um, which is oh, like, yeah, so that's 1987, isn't it? it yeah, that's like goth, super gothed out Jello. I love that, oh. and it has the best death in all of Jello, in my opinion. But 
and it's a gun death. It's yeah. like one of the only gun deaths in the entire oh. genre. Interesting. Have, I, Have you seen it? I don't know. Is the okay. death is it is it a woman's like climbing some stairs and gets shot no. and falls? No. What am I thinking of? Something else. I'm not sure. Okay. I mean, you can tell it. Tell us the death. It's uh, Daria Nicolodi again, who was his Dario Argento's longtime romantic partner in real life. They had uh, Asi Argento is their daughter. She her character is looks looks through a peephole, and we know that the oh killer's outside. God, yes, yes. Gun right up to the peephole, and it slow motion blows out the back of her head. It's so <laughs> just no. gratuitously gratuitous. I've uh, definitely seen. I've definitely seen that moment. Um, yeah, that's great. Wow. That's my favorite Jello kill of all time. So things like um, Inferno and Phenomena, they're not considered Jello. No, they're not. No. Well, so what happened was after after Deep Red, he did Suspiria, which became is still mm-hmm. his 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 most popular film. Um, but yeah, it introduced supernatural elements and leaned hard into the horror aspect of it. Because you know, like Giallo is there are some Giallo that aren't even really horror because Giallo is like murder mystery, horror, erotic thriller, and it's mm. it's different different Venn amounts diagram. of sometimes it's fully you know erotic thriller it always has some elements of all three but it it usually leans pretty far towards one and then just has elements of the others and then um after bird with the crystal plumage argento's first film in 1970 i think um Mm -hmm. that that started like the boom of gel and then they really like focused on, on the combo of uh, murder mystery and, and erotic thriller. And the horror out aspect got like more and more attached to it uh, mm-hmm. over time because horror was becoming more popular. And um, uh, Deep, uh, Deep Red obviously has pretty heavy horror elements to it. And then he just went fully into horror, but they're not, um, Suspiria and Inferno aren't, giallo despite the visual language being there because the narrative narrative elements are missing they're not murder mysteries you don't have like this outsider character doing like an amateur investigation of a spree of murders whilst Mm -hmm. the police do their own investigation that fails because they're inept that's pretty key parts of of giallo and there's not the slasher element to it which is you know yeah giallo birthed that whole thing slasher and then Inferno kind of was a failure, um, even though I like that movie quite a lot. Um, so he went back to Giallo, probably being pressured to do so because that's what he was known for. Yeah, uh, with Tenebrae. And then yeah. because Phenom- Phenomena's got serial killer elements, if I remember correctly. So Phenomena is, is a Giallo, and that's one of the ones that people really fight about because it's also okay. supernatural because she can control, she can yeah. see, bu- you know, see through the eyes of insects and control bugs. <laughs> Um, there's even people who argue about Deep Red because it has a psychic in it, but uh, there, it, it depends where you sit on yes. psychics, because mm-hmm. if you listen to the guy, the professor explaining her psychic power, she's not like psychic in terms of being able to predict the future. It's the, the type of psychic that, um, animals actually have just the ability to like feel an emotion or, or, or be you know, something that's happening while it happens, really feeling it emotionally, kind of like how when a tidal wave is coming or something like that, or an earthquake, animals know before humans do and, and flee. Yeah. And there is, there is some argument to be had scientifically that 
um, humans when they're children have a similar ability that they grow out of once they because they replace it with vocal with verbal communication. So, so there's debate over whether that movie's even supernatural because that's the type of psychicness that she has. So. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it's interesting because because yellow just means yellow, doesn't it? Yeah, which is a reference to um, this company Mondadori used to make their version of like Pulp Fiction novels. They're like detective novels that were printed on with yellow covers. Oh, wow. That's okay. where it comes from because that's where the murder mystery element of them uh, comes from. In the original Giallo movie, The Girl Who Knew Too Much, Mario Bava, 1963, the protagonist is seen on a plane reading. She has one of those books with hers, you know, oh, implying okay. that she read it, which was like the full circle. Oh, that is where these came from. So people just started calling the movies uh, Giallo. I was going to do a lot more research, Colin, but I knew you'd have the answers. That's, <laughs> <laughs> That's why. I was like, should I do that? Oh, wait, no, Colin's going to know. Sometimes when I'm talking about this stuff in the back of my head, I'm simultaneously listening to myself and going, do you know too much about this? Is this embarrassing? <laughs> do you get that thing where you're like, I know that I know that this is correct, but now I'm, now I'm saying it out loud. I'm like, is it correct? Yeah. <laughs> Cause I get now, I get that all the time. Now it's like, it's like when I listen to people who are nerds about like Lord of the Rings or something and you know, Oh, I, yeah, think yeah. I think it's cool that they know so much, but I'm also like laughing internally. Sometimes when I'm talking about this stuff, I'm like, is are just people just think I'm a crazy person? Is that like Yeah. But they probably do, and that's 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 absolutely fine, you know? <laughs> that's absolutely fine. No judgment here. I think we've all we've all kind of got something like that. And it's nice. It's nice to share 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 in those passions. Uh, and and you're passing that you're passing that information on to me and it's making me want to go and watch these films more. So in a way, uh you're influencing me. Um, okay, so we we will get into Tenebrae very soon. Let's start with uh, some a little bit of horror news before that. Now, um, just before the podcast, just before we started recording, you did mention, Colin, that David Cronenberg's new movie, The Shrouds, um, mm -hmm. is filming now, and it's filming in your neck of the woods. Is that correct? Yes. Um, it might even be done. Uh, but yeah, it's... Um... It's, it's a horror, unsurprisingly. It's mm -hmm. uh, Vincent Cassell, Guy Pierce, Diane Kruger, and Sandrine Holt. Uh, Vincent Cassell's wow. character is like a tech guy, I think. And I don't remember. I think he's a, he's a widower. And he builds um, like a technology that's built into sort of like a burial shroud where you can mm. wear it and reconnect with dead relatives i don't know if you're like there with them or what i the, the oh, little wow, bit okay. that i've read are, are don't have a ton of information but um yeah so it sounds like it's a bit of a not maybe not body horror which would be yeah well there's another another line here which says the controversial cemetery allows clients to watch their specific departed loved one decompose in real time yeah yeah that's right that's that's the other i mean I've, I've never yeah, i've never wanted anything less how <laughs> do you think every, every time i'm at a funeral i'm like you know what i would like to watch this person decompose in real time why can't we do that yeah i'll come back come back in six months to see what's going down uh, <laughs> oh god jesus this is horrific i i, I regret i regret this like a hundred dollar a month service that i've signed up for 
<laughs> God. Uh, but yeah, that I mean, that is interesting. You also mentioned that uh, David Cronenberg's daughter, obviously, you know, David Cronenberg's son is is um, making some great films, but his daughter as well is is making the jump. Yeah, Caitlin, uh, I think this is shot already. I get little pieces of info sporadically from local people in the industry. And I don't remember everybody that's in it, but I know um, Emily Hampshire. Um, she plays the, in uh, not horror at all, but Schitt's Creek. You know, she's like the front desk. Uh, okay, okay. Uh, person from, from Schitt's. And, and uh, Jay Barichell, like Canadian guy who's been in, he's friends with Seth Rogen and was in a lot oh, of Oh, yeah. Guy, yeah. The, the guy from like, uh, uh, This Is The End and, and everything like that. And yeah. Loads, loads yeah. of stuff. We know this guy. Um, cool. Very, and it is horror as well, yeah. So she's going yeah. To I think it's, I, I, it's like a contained thing. I don't know if the whole um, film takes place over a dinner, but it's like uh, there's been some sort of apocalyptic type situation, and twenty percent of humanity is dead or or thereabouts, and it's like a. Um, Everyone's gone out for a lovely bit of grub. There's like a family dinner at a house that, you know, you know, erupts into controversy of some sort. Uh, Jay, and... Jay Burrichell is 41 years old. He does not have a face what? that looks like it could be 41 years old. Like 21. <laughs> <laughs> he looks like he's 21. He's just constantly been, he's been 21 for 20 years. Yeah, uh, I, I could look like I could be his father. <laughs> he looks, no, no. He's older than uh, me crazy <laughs> uh oh he does the voice of uh, how to train your dragon main character i think that's probably one of the things oh, so I know. he's killing it there yeah he is killing he it like several of those movies and they were all successful mm. yeah but that that is that is it that is interesting and uh what else have we got in terms of news okay so there's the title of the exorcist remake well are we calling it a remake the new Exorcist movie. I don't think we're calling it a remake now, are we? I think initially it was supposed to possibly going to be a remake. Um, but it's called The Exorcist Believer. Oh, it's a sequel to the original classic. So I don't know if they're going to like veto the like Exorcist 2 and 3 is connected, I guess. They're going to do remakes. they're going to do what uh what Halloween does and what everything what else. Gladdy tried to do with Exorcist 3. Exorcist 3. Oh. Where he tried to ignore the se- the initial sequel and and make his own, and it just wasn't heretic. How how do you, how do you feel about the Exodus franchise as a whole? Are you a big fan? The first do you one think is so incredible? Everything yeah. after that. Sorry, I mean the Except third I one. Do, I do agree with the evaluation that the jump scare in the third one is one of the best jump scares of all time. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. So I, I I fairly recently read Legion as well, which the third one is is based on. Top of, yeah. And uh, have you read that? I have not, but I just no. I knew that it was based off of it. But... A really good like um sort of like murder murder mystery with with supernatural elements. Um, kind of reminds me a bit of uh, what's his name? Science of Lambs. Thomas Harris. That's the guy. Yeah, that's the guy. Kind of reminds me of his his sort of writing style in a way. Okay. Um, and I, I love the I love the Exorcist the book as well. But Legion, I was always always was a bit like, ah, do I really want to? Do I need to read this? And I did, and I thought it was it was good. And yeah, it is is a great jump scare. So this one is a sequel to the to the original, and it's got Ellen Burstyn reprising her role as Chris McNeil, uh, which is interesting. I don't know if any. 
did I hear that anybody else was going to be involved from the original as well in terms of cast? Um, oh, here's a question for you. Did you see the TV show, The Exorcist? I think I watched an episode and lost interest immediately. Yeah, I think so. I think I did the same thing. I watched an episode. I lost interest immediately, but somehow, for some reason, committed to watching like the whole of the first season. I almost um, did and yeah, I wasn't I wasn't too impressed. And I also found Gina Davis to be and I use I love Gina Davis. I think Gina Davis is great. But yeah. in this, I was a bit like, oh, not good. What? No, I'd, well, I didn't think so anyway. I mean, I'm not. No, I didn't think so. Um, and there is a bit of a reveal in that. Let's not um, let's, let's not, not go, go into that. Let's not go there. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think I did like a, a an Exorcist franchise rewatch, even even up to the Exorcist the beginning see i don't even know what the titles of things are that's that's how much of an effect they had on me and that was bad that was bad like everything else you can kind of go this is kind of bad this was bad and i kind of feel a little bit unsure about a sequel to this especially considering i think it was supposed to be a remake directing it it's david gordon green that's what i was gonna say oh see i once upon a time i would have been like awesome and then he did the second two of those Halloween movies. First one yeah. was good. Second two. I mean, the first one good. was great. The first one was yeah. great. So if he kind of applies that sort of filmmaking style to The Exorcist, where it's like, right, here's just exactly. Make sure he doesn't do two more afterwards, and we're good. Just, to go. just don't do The Exorcist kills and The Exorcist ends. Please, please, <laughs> please don't. I've turned up. I've turned up with a with an iron to to murder Mike Myers, Michael Myers. <laughs> Not Mike Myers. And to murder Michael Myers. And he's got a better me. How's that happened? God. <laughs> um oh my god. So how so I don't want to come, I don't want to get your opinion on every single movie that's ever been that's ever released. However, Halloween ends, how did you feel about the the sort of focus being on a new character who who didn't awful? Yeah, well, just pick a better character if you're gonna do that. You know? Yeah. One minute he's one minute he's getting beaten up by these like Gen X bullies. The next minute he's getting. <laughs> next minute he's beating up Michael Myers. Yeah. Sorry. Excuse me. <laughs> Give me some consistency. And also, sorry. Spoilers for Halloween ends. This doesn't make sense. Uh if I can't have her, then I'm gonna. Then no one can kill myself. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> that makes no sense. If I can't have her. No one can, and then you kill yourself. Yeah. Use me, but now you're out of the picture. Now <laughs> anyone can have her. <laughs> now anyone can have her. I, I think, like you, when you were looking around, thinking, uh, "Is anybody else think this shallow, this shallow film is queer?" I was looking around, thinking, "Is this real? Is this film? Is this film been made?" Yes. Uh, but let yeah, let's give let's give David Gordon Green the benefit of doubt because I can imagine. The Halloween trilogy, after the success of 2018, I can imagine a lot of people were involved in trying to, you know, develop yeah. something, and he probably had a lot of pressure on him as well. So, is he just like a glutton for punishment, taking on some of the most iconic horror, yeah, like yeah. movies, and taking on like, is it, what what would be your dream, like iconic horror character or franchise to make a movie of? To did, make did, a movie, yeah. Did we mention before that we think Freddy's got like well, at least what one more? Yeah, one more I mean that, that would be the one. I want to make a Freddy movie for sure. 
yeah because a robert, that was robert like england in, freddy instrumental in my 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 upbringing was was freddy wow okay i think i think one more one more for robert england right surely i hope so yeah because i think I, I, recently i saw that the the, the remake with Jackie O'Haley, like recently turned like was it ten or fifteen years old? I think it might have been ten. Jesus Christ! I know. <laughs> uh, oh, do you know what? I would like to revisit that because I never have. Uh, set Friday the Thirteenth remake as well. Never, never, ever revisited that. I, I would actually, yeah, I would revisit it also because doesn't Rooney Mara star in it? And she was no one at the time, but then she yeah, became. Yeah, I think she does. Away. I think she's like the main. She's incredible. So I have yeah. to see it now because it, it's the same with like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake when you remember that Jessica Beale is in it. Um, it. Yeah, I actually didn't hate that remake. I know that's sacrilegious. No? Me, but... me, me neither, Colin. Me neither. No, I but... quite like that. Um, was was she I in that know. one or was she? I don't even normally like Jessica Beale, but. I think the problem with Jessica Biel is that she just needs to do more dark movies because she's very good in them. And well, not just movies. I thought she was excellent in the first season of um, the hell where she stabs a person to death, and then the rest of the oh. season is is trying to figure out why she stabbed the person to death. It's like she was triggered by the song, "The Sinner." Oh, oh the Sinner. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've not seen that, but I know what that is. She's um, quite good. She's good in that. Where is Jessica Biel? She just needs see. to play more horror stuff. Yeah. And that Wasting iconic cowboy hat. Is it a cowboy hat combo with like the white tank top in Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Yes. It's true. It's a, it's a great look. It is a great look. Um, okay. And finally, in terms of horror news, um, oh, we've got the. Oh, you got one. You've got one. Okay. You go ahead. I'm going to plug a friend if that's okay. Of course. But it's a big, it's a big one. There's a new. Uh, Nicholas Cage horror movie. Another one. Um, being written and directed by Oz Perkins. Um, that uh, also stars uh, Michael Monroe, the the female lead from It Follows. Uh, the movie's called oh, yeah. Long called Long Legs, and okay. Ronnie Exley, who is executive producer of Bath Bomb, is executive producer of this movie. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. So a lovely connection to Mr. Cage there. Yeah. And uh wow, okay. So this is directed by Oz Perkins coming out in twenty twenty four. Uh an FBI agent is assigned to himself a serial killer case that takes unexpected turns. I do like Micah Monroe as well. I did see the The Watcher recently. Yeah, she was good in that. Yeah. I also don't understand why she wasn't in a bunch more stuff after it follows, because that was yeah, it seemed like it seemed like she was in a few more things, but none none of them seemed to get gain as much traction as it follows did. Um, and anytime I see her in something, I'm like, she's good. Why is she not in more stuff? <laughs> yeah, it's a weird one, isn't it? Um, yeah. I think we had this conversation uh, about the lead in Evil Dead, the 2013 Evil Dead, because she was in Don't Breathe. After that, um, what am I thinking of? What's her name? Sorry, I've forgotten. Um, but yeah, she was. Twenty thirteen Evil Dead, yeah. So she was in um uh Jane Le Jane Levy, that's correct. Um she was in Don't Breathe. Uh, but then after that, because I think she is like one of the best, like such a visceral performance in the twenty thirteen Evil Dead. That right. I, I was surprised that she didn't become more of a sort of household name. But then she was in Don't Breathe, and that was kind 
that was kind of it in terms of horror at least um but a quick quick segue uh actually let's let's, let's come back let's come back we didn't talk about um the oscar oh, movie all that much uh so yeah any anything else about long long legs who's got long no. legs in that anybody that's a good question i wonder if ronnie knows uh yeah. maybe yeah the serial killer first victim's got long legs maybe a model maybe a cat model of sorts and uh they've nicknamed her long legs until they can identify her maybe. i don't know we could come up with all sorts of theories that it'll be wrong. We could. We could come up with all sorts of theories. That would be wrong. Um, also, it was it was uh, so a segue from Evil Dead 2013 with Fede Alvarez. He did post uh, a shot from the Alien, the new Alien movie set for Alien Day, which is just like a celebration. It was like a face hugger. Um, and it did get me kind of thinking. It's one of those that I keep forgetting is happening, the Fede Alvarez Alien movie. Right. But yeah, how do you feel about that? Are you, do you feel confident that that could be? It's a weird one at this stage with the old uh, Alien franchise, isn't it? Yeah, it's such a weird, the different turns that that franchise has taken is so weird. I almost want somebody outside of horror to take that over to, to just do mm -hmm. something very different with it. I know this would never happen, but um, he has a relationship with, Ridley Scott, so maybe I would like I would watch a Denis Villeneuve. Uh, <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Hell yeah! Yeah. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the visual? Not that far well. up between Arrival and yeah. Blade Runner twenty forty nine, he could do. Yeah. He could do. No, I'm with alien. you. I'm with you. I'm with you there. That sounds great. I think. Yeah, that's what that because you know the first Alien movie. No offense to James Cameron. The first. I love James Cameron, but the first Alien movie is very smart. It's a legitimately intellectual film. The second one throws that out the window <laughs> and becomes an action movie. And it never recovered from that, you know? Mm. It then, yeah, yeah, even though, even though the original Alien is a genre film, it was the smartness of it was beyond what you would just say, oh, this is genre cinema. Mm. And because the second one was such a success as an action film, it then just became genre cinema and has never changed. Never from that. recovered. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it's James I, Cameron's I, fault. No, it's <laughs> like everything. It's money's fault. But um, yeah, yeah, but I, it's just it's it's that. But it's also like the the obsession with with complicating the origins and the, the mythology and all of that stuff. Yeah which isn't particularly, I, I mean, I don't particularly find it all that interesting. Or I, yeah. I don't feel like it affects my relationship with the films because yeah. I'm just like, well, I'd rather just, it was scary enough not knowing where it came from, you know? Yeah. 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 It's, it's when, when they, but when they started crossing over Alien with Predator, that's when you knew that in it's the balance between <laughs> art and commerce... <laughs> The hard part was just gone. It was just commerce yeah. at that point. It's a weird one though because, like, I I can I love Alien. I love Aliens. I consider both of them like five star, ten out of ten movies, but for completely completely different reasons. Yeah. No. Like, exactly. Watching... Like, that's why I said no offense to James Cameron because I I love the second Aliens, the second Alien film, Aliens. But yeah, it's just it took it in a completely different direction, and then it just went in that direction. <laughs> alien 
S dollar sign. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's what it should have been called. That's exactly. Well, that's pretty much. That's pretty much what he did, wasn't it? Apparently, I don't know. Is yeah. that true? Is that true? What What does it mean when that guy says, "Look into my eye"? Because I still don't understand. When that guy goes, "Look into my eye," what does he mean? He just says it and then moves on. No, explain what you mean by that. Is he trying to say we've all just woken up from cryosleep? Look at the state of my eyes. I need some eye drops. What's he saying? Uh, <laughs> okay, but still, I'm I'm kind of interested to see because Fede Alvarez as a filmmaker, um, it would be interesting to see what his take on it would be because you wouldn't yeah. associate his filmmaking style with like this sci-fi, um, horror scenario. True. Whether they whether they're gonna, yeah. So it will be interesting to see what what he does um <clears throat> excuse me and the last piece of news is that there's a first look at the movie maxine the Ty west's uh third installment in the x trilogy this yeah. one's set set in the 80s and who'd have thought it it's basically just uh it's basically just um what's her name mia goff in 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 eight is get up with halsey uh is that you say her name halsey halsey, halsey i think i think it's you look add a bit of a, add a bit of a z, z to it, add a bit of a z to it. Yeah, Halsey. Yeah, how do we feel about that? So, you, not not entirely uh, sold on Halsey's acting chops. Yeah, I mean, um, having not been a Halsey fan of any measure previous to her most recent album, I did think that that was. Um, an excellent album. I think that um, at least the first five tracks of that album are the in sequence are the the best pop music I've I've heard in a long time. Mm -hmm. um, and because you know, outside of film, I work in music for for a large festival. I do listen to a shit ton of music of all genres because I need to. And I'm you know, there's pop artist that I'm not afraid to say I love and uh but there's not a lot and there mm. used to be a lot more and it's declined mm. yeah, yeah yeah definitely and I think yeah. I I liked that <laughs> album and I really liked in the same way that I really liked the weekend's last two albums and I think a big part of it is that they're concept albums oh so and, the Housey album's a concept album I was gonna ask that yeah well yeah and I th I think that was made possible by the fact that she enlisted Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross to to oh, produce wow, it yeah. and and also you know have a hand in writing, they yeah wrote and produced the album with her so um, and obviously wow. they know how to make concept albums yeah uh, so I th I'm I'm sure that was a big part of why it ended up being I mean there's a difference between saying something's a concept album and listening to an album and it's <laughs> legitimately a unified concept which yeah, is yeah. Uh, I just think it lost its chapter two some of, it, of the yeah. same story i think it lost it loses some of its uh cohesiveness halfway through the album and then kind of regains it at the ending but uh but mm. the first five tracks are, are really excellent i've listened to them in okay. sequence many many times over but as i mentioned before we started recording it accompanied a, a music film originally that i went and saw in theaters when it came out and i did not think it was good um and one of the worst or least strong elements of it was there's a, two different moments where she, you know, the scene calls for some real acting from from mm. her, and she just didn't seem to have the chops. 
Um, so this is but if is it called if I can't have love, I want power. power. Yes. So it's not like it's not like a feature length thing, is it? Is it kind of like a? I don't oh, remember I how long it was. It's the full. It's at least the length of the album. Uh, okay. um, it's like music video, you know, kind of like. Oh, a, so it's like it, go, it goes yeah. alongside the music, yeah, yeah. and then okay. Yeah. Um, I like that. I I wish she would have really leaned into the Reznor and Ross relationship, though, because she got you know it was it was directed and pulled together by Colin Tilly, who. No offense to Colin Tilly. Uh, because he's, you know, one of the biggest music video directors in the world, but I'm not a fan of his style. Um, mm. And I didn't, it just didn't add anything to the music for me or vice versa. Uh, they seem mismatched. Yeah. And uh, Trent and Atticus, get David Fincher on the phone. I was just going to say, say she, she could have had like a David, I mean, I'm sure David Fincher wouldn't have done it, but uh, who knows? Wait, but sure. David, David Fincher did music videos, didn't he? Sure, but hasn't in a very long time. Okay, okay, okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he's but, like, no, uh, no, I'm, I'm over it. I'm over it. Yeah, it just, it just felt like a, it felt more like a commercial than a film or a music, even a music video. I see. Yeah, I like, mean, it is difficult to convey that, isn't it? But yeah, ended with a logo for a different cologne, and I would have been like, oh, that makes sense. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay, but but yeah, so she's she. We don't know what her role in the Maxi movie is. Whether she's going to be, um, I feel like if Ty West cast her though, she's going to do a good job in the film. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, um, and I kind of like the sound of it. Even though I I, I loved X and I did really enjoy I did enjoy Pearl. Um, I, I I don't know. This is, I'm more interested in this, like kind of being set in the '80s, more than I more than I was in in necessarily the pearls in terms of a prequel. I would rather have seen some sort of uh, some sort of um, continuation of that character as well. And I keep right. forgetting that Mia Goff, Mia Goff's two different characters in it. Because <laughs> I keep going, yeah. I keep I keep getting to the point where I go, hang on a minute, oh, what is she supposed to be in the '80s? And then I remember it's not the same person. <laughs> just happens to look the same bald um that might have been part of the first audience that saw the tease for for maxine at the ending of pearl because i saw i saw pearl at uh oh, Midnight wow, okay. at Diff, um which was it was the second time that it screened because i think they premiered at venice but um but it was the first according to ty 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 and ty west and uh, and mia goth did a a Q&A afterwards and according to him that was the first time that they had played the the teaser wow interesting <laughs> interesting to see what direction they're going to go with it whether it's going to be yeah a, a horror movie or anything but i'm assuming you you enjoyed x and pearl as well yeah i enjoyed x more than pearl but that yeah, i think so the monologue in pearl yeah is like easily i mean <laughs> easily the best acting by any actor that year and it's ridiculous that no nominations yeah how how much the like just dismissal of genre cinema usually is that it's like honestly i would love to see you back to back that scene with whatever scene you think is the best <laughs> out of five different films from that year nothing holds yeah water. oh wow um, no, it's good. I think it just goes to show as well, like what, how, what, like Mia Goth, um, 
how great she is and uh, maybe have you seen infinity pool as well yeah 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 she's great in that as well i don't like the way she says the name james however <laughs> james oh stop it if my name was james i'll be having nightmares about that for weeks on end because she she's the kind of actress i forget she's british yeah i just forget and then when she starts in interviews and stuff i'm like what's she doing and then i go oh yeah she's british it's just kind yeah, of strange I, isn't it i think people you know once some time has passed assuming maxine is is on the same level as as x and, and pearl i think when some time has passed people look at those three movies as like really a pretty incredible proving ground for for a performer mm. yeah and surely one of the in terms of a sequel of movies, like the fact that we got Pearl like a year after X and then Maxine is, is coming out so quickly as well. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of insane. Some yeah. of it must have been filmed back to back, right? Uh, the first two were, yeah. The first two the, were, the yeah. Story, I thought that was the, the story case. that I told during TIFF was that they were in quarantine in New Zealand for X and were working on the backstory for uh, Pearl's character in X. And they had accumulated so much material just generating this backstory that um me and him you know came up with this idea of i mean we'll pitch it to i don't know if they pitched it specifically to the production company or to a24 uh probably to a24 i would guess um as, as a concept and then if they like it we you know mm. flesh it out and, and make a movie as a pitch and, they just went in and said they just wrote pearl fucks a scarecrow <laughs> under, yeah under and a24 the- was like <laughs> in <laughs> oh, <How man>. much? <laughs> great can we name it something can we have like some I, sort of scarecrow pun in there i think they probably had circumstance a bit on their side i mean obviously it's a good idea and they obviously had a strong script to submit but i think circumstance probably helped because you know the reason they were shooting in new zealand is is the only place you could shoot at the time yeah. okay. down. i'm sure a24 at least part of their decision had to be we we don't have a lot being made right now, so. <laughs> yeah, what, you're there? You're set up right now? Yeah, just knock out another prequel. Yeah. Go on. How many more no, days just... do you need? Same team? You want to do a sequel as well? Yeah, go. <laughs> just do it all. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I hear the story of, of Maxine, though, if, it was, if there was a uh, gap there. It would be crazy if that was just like another <laughs> well-making pearl. <laughs> They're like, hey, we have this other idea. <laughs> me, me and Goff, me and Goff's like no no more i'm exhausted i've been doing too much i've been doing too much good acting i can't do any more please and then give me Ty a break was, like i'm gonna see how long i can extend this <laughs> yeah uh do you want to see do you want to see uh the character in the i keep going to say pearl but it's not pearl is it what's the character's name who's <laughs> in maxine 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 yeah what's wrong with me what's her name the character of Maxine, the lead actor, the character, the main character of Maxine. What's her name? Yeah, Maxine. Uh, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, that's it. That's it for, for horror news. Quite quite a lot of different things covered. But I guess now we move on to what we've been watching for the week. It doesn't have to be. Um, I mean, it can be horror. It can be horror adjacent for the last seven days or so. Colin, if you've got anything that you wanted to mention, give a shout out or just. Two, two major things that I watched. I. I watched the first episode of Dead Ringers and oh yes, loved it so much that I binged the whole series the same day oh, and wow. uh, did not 
it didn't maintain my love. Ooh. The first two episodes I was so enthusiastic about, I was literally like, this is the best thing on television. I was like, even I was like, fuck The Last of Us. This is the best thing on television. <laughs> Seriously. Fuck the Last of Us. Seriously. I'm over it. It was so smart um, in, in many different ways. And uh, yeah, it just didn't, it just, just the narrative loses kind of steam for me. <laughs> and a lot of the intelligent um, components that came from focusing on women uh, okay. just a little kind of disappear after a while or are not, not really focused on as much. And the difference between the two characters, um, one, you haven't, I'm guessing you haven't watched. So one character in particular, you know, like the term, like it, they didn't earn it, like where yeah. one character yeah. goes just didn't feel earned to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I went back and rewatched just episode three because that was the first episode where I was like, this is not as good. Uh, and yeah, trying to like find, maybe I missed stuff, but yeah, it's definitely just like, th there's not enough um, plot points in the one character's uh, journey, if you want to call it that, to to get them to where they are by the next episode. And then it just gets worse from there. It's just like the psychological journey that that person goes mm. on that isn't earned in, in my opinion. Yeah. But the performance is incredible. Um, Rachel, Rachel Weiss as well. Yeah, she should get everything for that. Um, yeah. I have heard a lot of really good things about it. And it's it's all available in one go, isn't it? It's not like a yeah. weekly or anything like that. It's obviously based on David Cronenberg's film. Um, and she's playing essentially the same character, but gender flipped versions of the characters played by Jeremy Irons. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. They even keep the same names. Oh, yeah. Because they oh, had yeah, because one of them is called Beverly was one of the names that one in the oh yeah. So... I don't know where so... my head was going, but my head did not go to Beverly. It was Beverly like still their still their names. Oh Beverly, uh, and it okay. also has some real the second episode especially. There's this whole like dinner with the incredibly wealthy people who are each one of them is is like a a representative of of an actual person in real mm -hmm. life, and the family is like a mirror of in our world the family you know pharmaceutical folks that are responsible for the opioid crisis and it's just very intelligent and the commentary is intelligent it's not like you know in the past however many years since um you know wokeness became a thing and everything it's really dumbed down unfortunately political commentary in films political mm. commentary now in mainstream films is just like each character might as well have it written on their forehead there's no yeah. sub in anything anymore and this show had some smart subtext and yeah. just the whole it was just very fresh because it's like every powerful person is a woman there's just like men are just useless in the, in the film which i thought was a great uh yeah you know, just not you don't see it often and um but yeah even that it that loses its proportion of what's going on as the series progresses it looks like every episode had a different writer as well so do you think maybe that's one of the reasons potentially the first two direct the first two episodes directed by sean durkin um, and the rest had a, a different director yeah. for every episode. i'm sure that's part of it too it's it's just the curse of of the way television's made where you have mm. a different you there's not a unified vision 
in, in television most of the time, which is why it really stands out when you have a series that has, you know, one, yeah. either one writer or one director or both like the first season of true detective, you know, that's, oh, yeah, that's a, that's a masterclass. In that's an outstanding example because yeah. that is, that is a hundred percent. One of the examples I like to give, have you heard about <laughs> going, going down a complete off of a tangent? Have you heard about this stuff to do with Woody Harrison and Matthew McConaughey? No. Oh, with like, they might have the same father or something. They might like have that. the same dad. What's going on? <laughs> It's insane. I have. Someone explained have. that to me the other day. I was like, what? Is this a TV show? Like, no, it's real life. Oh. But yeah, I think that's a that's a great example, is that like, yeah, true detective and and even though the, the, the subsequent series weren't as weren't as good, there was something about that. But to be fair, well, Dead think, Ringers at six I episodes. Think what happened with that with that series too, right? Was uh I forget his first name, it's a lot of the creator and writer of, of N- True Nico? Detective. Is it Nico? Nick, is it Nick? Nick. Might just be Nick, um, yeah. But it, he, you know, he got mad that um, Fukunaga was getting all the credit for the show being great, mm-hmm. and so he was like, "I'm going to prove that I am true detective. I am the creative force." The true detective why. was me all along. Yeah. So, <laughs> so he did the second season with you know increasing his creative input and did it traditionally, where it's a different director each episode. And we all know what happened in that season. It was shit. And uh, well, the third good. season's good, though. I like um, the third season. I liked yeah. some of the second series. I liked Colin Farrell's character, like threatening, threatening, threatening a little kid. He was okay, yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know what you mean. Vince Vaughn, like in, yeah. in, in any, yeah. I love Vince Vaughn, but just you know, I'm sorry. The it's yeah. I don't want to say stop doing serious roles, but. They haven't worked out so far, in my opinion. You'll yeah. you'll get it eventually, Vince. Just ca- just carry on. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, but yeah, of course. Then there's going to be um, a Jodie Foster. Um, I was going to. I actually don't know who's involved. Who else is involved in that apart from Jodie Foster? Series four. Is it officially a series four? I oh, know. Really? I didn't know that was happening. Yeah, I think it's called True Detective. Someone else. <laughs> True Detective. Something else. True Detective. This this is the most true, true of all of the te- true detective night country. Oh, I um, like that with with Jodie Foster and Callie Reyes apparently because uh, I love it when they try to they throw together any two actors and they say is this a new series of True Detective? I love that. I love that. That's a that's a Jody meme Foster that will never die. I don't know. I don't know actually. I'd be I'd be into that. Hmm. But yeah, it looks interesting. I think HBO have only shown like uh no, like a there's not no seconds. info on whether or not it's a it's unified director across the series. No, not that I can okay. see. Um I might have to look a bit more into that. But yeah, that would be good. But yeah, because I loved all the true detective series one, like all the kind of like almost maybe supernatural stuff that was yeah. kind of there and you know, and just, just uh Matthew uh Matthew McConaughey's like uh monologues and just but basically every word that came out of his mouth right yeah (laughs) and just you know yeah it's just a great example of something you can see that the unified vision in it right like the control over everything Mm. that the problem is with shows that want to have a unified look but there's different directors it's harder to take risks on like having a six minute one shot for 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 instance which they did in True Detective. So you end up kind of like dumbing down the 
the like prowess of how something is shot so that it's recreatable by director number yeah. X brought in to, to do today's episode, yeah. you know? Um, yeah, so it, it, you can be a little more, um, you can take bigger risks if, if you have, have a person in, in the style of a show if you if you have a, a single director during the whole thing i mean maniac as well which he directed all of that's like has such uh, a specific oh yeah and like i was just trying to remember there. sorry i was just trying to remember what the long shot was and it's the one where they go into the they go into like a drug den and yes yeah that's it and they go through the fence yeah, well, yeah. They, well, they did a behind the scenes immediately after I that. I saw end. that. I saw yeah. it. Yeah. It's like the one steady cam guy climbing and handing it off to the other steady who cl- clips it into his harness, and that's insane. So uh, good. And there's so good. It's just fucking. It's bananas. Mm. Um, excellent uh, series. I'm definitely, I'm definitely gonna check out Dead Ringers though. Um, I think I might watch the film again, maybe before, maybe afterwards. I don't know. Just, to, just as a refresher, because I've not okay. seen that for a long time. So. Uh, um, but yeah, it wasn't just that. There was it, Colin. There was something else that you've seen. Oh yes, I've I've been watching uh, uh, the last drive-in. Oh yeah, okay. On Shutter, mm. and it's kind of hurt my heart a little bit because uh, <laughs> I I'm a big Joe Bob Briggs fan because you know I grew up watching Monster Vision, his TNT show, and so when this happened when shutter started doing last drive and i was like yay and uh i always was fascinated by the amount of trivia that he knew but now that he's doing it on shutter he's done two giallo films he did deep red and he did tenebrae which is the first time he's he's doing films where i happen to know a shit ton about these movies and he gave a bunch of trivia about both of them that was incorrect and oh no yeah, so so like, you know, I was mentioning before how Deep Red, there's an American version and then there's the original Italian version. So he's mm. explaining that they're watching the American version because that's what North American audiences are, are most used to. It's also happens to be what Shutter has rights to. So obviously that's why that's... <laughs> yeah. And he, after the first chunk of the movie, he's saying there's this famous parapsychology conference scene. And he's saying, oh, the only difference so far is that immediately preceding that scene in the original there's a scene of uh the character marcus and the character carlo playing piano together in this bar which is not true that's not what it is the scene in the original before the parapsychology scene is marcus like guiding a a full band like jazz band in this like very cool gothic chamber and there was a bunch more stuff just like um he about other giallo films too like he talks about the girl who knew too much the first giallo film and says that it's based on one of these the books i was talking about the mondadori uh pulp novels which it was not and uh he talks about like how he disagrees with dario argento being called like the director that defined the genre of giallo because there are other filmmakers who made quote way more giallo films and he there are no filmmakers that made oh, more films than dario gento dario gento has made 14 of them by the time to, to be fair by the time that last drive-in episode aired he had only done 13 because dark <laughs> sunglasses hadn't been made yet okay but he, he also specifically gives the time range uh he's like oh between 1970 and 1975 dario gento had only made four giallo films whereas other directors had made many more and he specifically says 
uh, Sergio Martino, Umberto Lenzi, and Lucio Fulci. In that same time period, Lucio Fulci only made two, and is and and in his entire career only made six versus Argento's fourteen. How so many films do you expect somebody to make in a five-year period? Yeah, I've I, yeah exactly. I've yeah. It, I was very confused. I feel like he just was mistaken i don't i don't remember but basically but uh, he had no no idea what he was dealing with in terms of an audience member that you were going to be that you were going to be one of them <laughs> yeah but you know it just made me think like uh how much of this trivia over the years that i've heard from joe Bob briggs is incorrect oh, yeah how much of it have you repeated <laughs> exactly <laughs> that's that the worst incorrect. thing i've just got it told I've got to tell everybody these great yeah. facts. Uh, yeah. well, I mean, that is a shame. Is it is it him though, or is it is there like a sort of a research team, or what? What is it? I mean, I'm sure he has a team, but still, if it, if I was yeah. the host of that show, I would be like, you know, I'd have yeah. a fact checking team. Yeah, maybe you should get on the fact checking team. Even me. Darcy the male girl made a mistake. Oh no, no! Don't yeah. tell me that. Tell me she that. <laughs> Tell me the up is down. It's a much smaller mistake, but they're talking about um, the movie Death Walks on High Heels. And she says that it was directed by Lucio Ercoli. The guy's name is Luciano Ercoli. Ah, said Lucio. Smaller mistake, but kind of worse in a way. (laughs) You know, it's like the director of the film. Hey, Lucio, come over here. Well, I think you're fine. My name's Luciano. Um, I hate to think about how many mistakes I've potentially made in in, in the, on this podcast over three, over 300 episodes. If um, Bob Briggs saw this, he'll probably go back to starting the episode and find all the... Listen, Collegey Cooper thinks he's the giallo. <laughs> he has no idea, okay? Yeah. In this five-year... Well... There we go. If we want to start some beef between you and, and, and him, why not? I love Joe Bob. He's great. But it still is disappointing, you know. I find it disappointing when some when I'm listening to someone who I think is an expert on something and I'm kind of hanging on their every word and then they do say something where you go, What? Come on. That makes no sense. It happens all the time. Um but yeah, okay, so I've not really, unfortunately, I've not really seen much this week. It's been one of those weeks where I've not watched anything particularly horror. I did watch A Tale of Two Sisters, the Kim Ji Woon uh, movie, for the first time. Um, I don't know why, because I've owned it for such a long time. But I recently watched, I uh, rewatched I Saw the Devil, which is one of my favorites. And then I was going to rewatch some of his other films, like The Good, The Bad, The Weird, um, A Bit of Sweet Life. I was looking at the films he's directed. He also directed The Last Stand, that movie where Arnold Schwarzenegger is like a sheriff in a small town. Yeah. And I had no idea. So I've seen that film, but I didn't know it was Kim Ji Woon. I think it's one of those I things where if I've seen this. Where the big time show. Korean directors seem to get like a shot at like an an American sort of English language movie. Um, I don't know. And I mean, it doesn't always work out, but I'm kind of glad it doesn't work out, you know, because we want that. We don't want their, uh, their visions to be nullified in any way. A Tale of Two Sisters is a really, really good, like ghost story slash haunted house story. Um, and I don't think that's a spoiler at all because they're, there may there are or maybe aren't supernatural elements that sort of unfold. It's got some really good central performances um by the titular two sisters. Uh 
And the reason I went to watch this was because one of the scares uh, appeared on the top 101 scariest mo- uh, moments right. on Shudder. And it is a scary moment. And there's a follow-up scene as well, which which got me, got me just as good. And it's a great film to kind of like un- unravel as you're sort of watching it. I think it's this, I think it might be that. It kind of gives me the vibes of like the others in a way where you're kind of like, okay, I understand this is a supernatural story, but there's something else afoot. There's something else. Something isn't quite right. Somebody's keeping a secret. Something like that. Um, and it look and it and it does look great as well. So I, I definitely recommend it. I know it's a very popular, um, popular movie in some circles. But uh, you say you've never seen it, Colin? I was I was just looking at the the poster. I can't remember if I've seen it or not. But mm. um... have you seen Have you seen I Saw the Devil? The yes. You've seen that one, yeah. So obviously it's a completely different vibe to that because that's more of like a, a sort of crime thriller, isn't it? Cat and mouse scenario. I think some people do call I Saw the Devil a horror movie in some circles, but I don't know. Tale of Two Sisters is um, is definitely a horror movie. And yeah, highly, yeah, highly recommend like it. It's possible that I saw this during uh, when I was in film school. Unfortunately, there's like a, a lot of movies that I know are really excellent that I saw in film school that I can't remember because we watched so many. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. I remember going back and rewatching. I think it was like The Piano Teacher, you know, the um, uh, Michael Haneke movie. And um, it's like one of the best movies in the history of movies. And oh, okay. And I had zero recollection of it. Even rewatching, I was like, yeah, yeah. But, and I, I, I was like, there's no way I've seen this. But then I had a physical copy of a paper I had written on it. <laughs> oh my God. The fuck? Yeah. I wrote a book about this, apparently. Yeah, that's how much <laughs> they overworked us in film school. Yeah. You're, you're knocking out papers every. Uh, uh, you, you what? You didn't make five films in this five year period? Yeah, exactly. pathetic. Are you, are you uh, not familiar with, with that film, the the piano teacher? No, I don't think I am. I've, you know I've, Michael Haneke, the director. I know Michael Haneke is yeah. Yeah. Why don't I know it's that what, film then? It's it's a real humdinger. You should check it out. Yeah. Um. Yeah, because he made uh, Funny Games. That's right, isn't it? Correct, as yeah, well as the American wanna... remake of his own movie, Funny Games. American remake of his own movie, Funny Games. And I did see it in the wrong order, unfortunately. Oh, but, no. Yeah, I know. But I, I I hadn't heard of it until the American remake. And it was like, oh, this is a remake. And I went, it's just the same. There's <laughs> nothing any different. I do like Michael Pitt, though. I think out of everything, yeah. Michael Pitt is is a great is a great actor. Yeah, um, it was just really weird because he had made this comment that the reason he did the remake is because... Um, he felt that the inspiration for the story was like American wealth culture. So mm. he wanted to make an American version, but then he hired a, a Brit, a Briton, an Aussie to fucking start it. You know? Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> it made no sense. I was like, what? <laughs> Naomi Watts. Yeah, that makes no sense. And uh, I'm pretty sure I've seen a more that sort of. Oh yeah. That's one of the most crushing. Yeah. Incredibly crushing. Incredibly yeah. crushing. Um, yeah. I had- I had a, a day where I had planned to and wisely decided not to. Uh, I wanted to do the, the, the just like I was going to do a, a trilogy, like a three movies back to back of just like 
Life is Awful trilogy, which was, I was going to do Amour, um, The Father, and um, what's it, is it Vortex? The Gaspar Noé. Oh, Enter the Void? No, no, no. Oh, uh, Vortex. Oh, okay. I've got you. I've got it you. actually stars. Um, Not irreversible. Stars no, I'm getting confused. I know what film you mean now. Yeah. Yeah. So just three movies about <laughs> being being old and dying and how awful. Yeah. Oh, being old and dying. To be fair, when you said Gaspar Noé, it could have been anything that would have been. It's not That's about true. being old and dying necessarily, but just about there is no hope. Yeah. That life, <laughs> life is awful. awful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes you gotta do sometimes you gotta do that sometimes you gotta let yourself feel it you know i remember going through like i remember going through like a terrible breakup and then watching uh is it blue valentine with ryan gosling oh, yeah. and just like <laughs> just like no redeemable features about relationships at all like you watch eternal sunshine and spotless mind and you're a bit like oh, oh yeah uh, and then That's blue cool. valentine and then yeah um yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, that is pretty much all I've seen. I guess we've got to do the film of the week. Uh, Tenebrae, which is a 1982 yeah. Italian giallo film written and directed by Dario Argento. Uh, the film stars Anthony Franciosa as an American author. Oh, wow. There we go. Look at that. It's almost yeah, the this same is the as... Japanese release poster the for Japanese it. Japanese release poster. That is, that is I cool. have framed. That, that does look awesome. And you've got Deep Red in the background as well. And then... Uh, the original release the yeah, north american release poster and oh, next cool. to that is the cat of nine tails also argento and uh bird with the crystal plumage also argento amazing does anyone ever come back to your place and be like what the hell's all this gun what hell's this about yes <laughs> <laughs> in fact anyone who's been in here <laughs> and then you go sit down I've got a tale yeah, to tell. I, you. I say, how much time do you have? Well, I've got nowhere to be. Uh, so yeah, this so this film stars Anthony Franciosa as American author Peter Neal, who, while in Rome promoting his latest murder mystery novel, becomes embroiled in the search for a serial killer who may have been inspired to kill by his novel. Um, yeah. So, what? Who else is in it? John Saxon, Daria. What was her name? Daria Nicolodi. Yep. Um, and then loads, loads of other beautiful, beautiful people in this film as well. Um, the cast is really a great looking cast. Um, so what else? It's got seven out of ten on IMDb. On Rotten Tomatoes, it's got seventy nine percent critic score, seventy eight percent audience score. That's pretty, pretty close. Three point seven percent on Letterboxd. Sorry, go on. I noticed that you never quote the uh, on your podcast. You never quote the meta score. That's interesting. Yeah, why don't I do that? Shall we because do that's that? The one I trust the most. Okay, so basically, I'm just quoting all the things that nobody nobody believes. Tenebrae, eighty three percent meta score, which is that's which nice. is universal. Eighty one is universal acclaim. Oh wow! Okay, so it's above that. The reason you know that what? I trust it more than. The others is because so Rotten Tomatoes, right, is just that percentage is just positive reviews, yeah. right? So that's just like yeah. over half anything that was over five or two and a half, depending on what scale an individual publication rates on, mm -hmm. that counts as positive. So it's not really that, you know, you could have a hundred percent, but everybody gave it a <laughs> five and a half out of ten, right? Yeah. 
would still be 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. And then the other reason is because you, Metacritic is the least likely to suffer from ratings bombing because uh, it's, more, okay, that's it's more difficult to be considered uh, an actual critic on. Okay. You've kind of got to have, you can't on, just on go, Metacritic. you can't just go, shit. Yeah. Can't and you can't, that. like, I'm the editor of Fred's film <laughs> blog. I'm an accredited. It's funny you, should, funny you should say that. I've got Fred's film blog score. He says sixty-four <laughs> percent. Uh, okay, do you know what? Just for you, Colin, I'm going to add the meta score because I'm again always willing to listen, but always willing to allow the podcast to grow and get better. So I'm going to add meta score to the the little list I do from now on. Um, yeah, I do so like they, doing it. The- they, they take whatever scale you rate on, right? Whether it's five stars or yeah. ten stars or whatever, and then they they you know prorate that or whatever to a hundred um to to get their score so it's so you're you're seeing the actual makes more sense average grade something's getting as opposed to just whether or not people gave it a positive review yeah um i'm definitely i'm gonna add that then colin you've you've committed to it i've i've committed to it now oh there'll be no going back i won't be able to go back I'm obsessive. Uh, so it's got 3.7 out of 5 on Letterboxd. I've got some choice reviews. And I always do Letterboxd because it's my favorite place to get reviews. Um, Viva La Filth, that's a good username, says, this film is basically if Vogue magazine and the Pirelli calendar got together and made a slasher movie and then got Daft Punk to do the soundtrack. It's, it's, it's Goblin, though, isn't it? Is it Goblin? Yeah, that's an interesting review because, uh, well, it's three members of Goblin who at the time didn't have the legal right to call themselves Goblin, which is why they're credited as their names individually. Um, it's, it's also electronic based, so it was, it was different than their normal sound, but they yeah. were a large influence on Daft Punk, so it's oh, actually okay. curious to say that that's what it sounds so like. So Viva La Filth, even though you're pretty much completely wrong, you're kind of yes. right as well. Five stars, this person. I don't know if you that. noticed... And this is something that I did a story of on my Instagram at one point. But the theme song was heavily sampled for uh, a hit song by Justice. You know, Justice, the electronic yeah. group. Yeah, they have the song Phantom that is... Uh, oh, wow. Is okay, and they sampled the it. Song. Well, the, ma- the main theme as well. Yeah. Wow, did you not cool. recognize? If I play music no. on here, to come through the thing? It might do. I'd like, just... it, I, I'd like it if it did. Um, gonna... No, I didn't notice that. That is, I'll tell you what, though, that is a deep cut. And does that give you more respect for an artist such as Justice if they've sampled something like that? A bit, except <laughs> it, it, yes and no, just because it's not like a little sample. It's like the, the song. <laughs> Um, and then Mark Krikov says Argento's dire- direction is bold and imaginative. The technical prowess is tight. The score is to die for and the kills are gnarly as hell. I'm in heaven. Five stars. Viva La Filth gave it five stars as well. Um, oh, nice. This is an interesting review because, again, you might be better placed to, to, to tell me if this is true or not. Uh, An Anomaly. It's a good name. 
a parody of Argento written by Argento's critics as written by Ge Argento. Is that going to make sense? Wasn't not, it supposed Not literally. It, it's, it's a meta-horror. Yeah. It's like long before yeah. Scream meta-horror. The point of it is that the Peter Neal character is supposed to be like an avatar for for um, Argento and he uses the character to address real life criticisms of his work because mm -hmm. you know he, when he has yeah. that first meeting with the with Tilda who they establish that they know each other but then when they do the press conference she accuses him of being a misogynist and she kicks you know, right off at him I just yeah. that. and then he defends himself and that was him voicing yeah. his legitimate defense of himself through that character which is just you know the age-old argument of just like if you if you write a misogynist character that doesn't make you a misogynist and just like yeah. if you write a racist character it doesn't make you racist what's more important is is that character celebrated or is that character you yeah. know punished for and there's an argument to be made that most in most cases misogynist characters in argenta's work are punished for, for that so mm. yeah yeah um because he defends himself against that character, but he also defends himself against the talk show host as well. Not defends himself, but kind of like explains his work a bit better to someone who, who, who they might be a big fan, but they seem to have like misunderstood. Yeah, so that's the other half it. of it is that Argento had also found that people who were fans of his work and his defenders were kind of problematic and like <laughs> had taken the wrong <laughs> things away yeah, from yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. That guy essentially beca is becomes a killer because of the book because he's like, oh, this person is punishing people for their great option, which is what you know he ends up doing. Uh, and the last review I've got here is oh. by Har Harlequinade, who says, "So stylish and unique, and the women here, Belisame. Am I saying that correctly? Belisame, um, which is true. I think true. it's true. It Very is true. true. Um, so yeah." This was the first time I've seen this movie, and I think initially I just have to say really enjoyed it. I am a fan of what I have seen of Dario Dario Gento so far, um, even though I haven't seen absolutely loads. But I've seen films it, it, it appears that he's been involved in in one way or another, and I did see Dark Glasses as well this year, last year. Um, but yeah, I, I I thought I thought it was great, kind of like a very iconic iconic film in terms of the soundtrack soundtrack was superb the kills were great and as i already mentioned in terms of like a murder mystery i really was engaged and trying to work it out all the way through and i like the fact that it wasn't like a sort of straight up oh by the way the killer's this person and this is why it was kind of a bit more complicated than that there were right mm. yeah yeah so it's a it's a good one. We will cover the, we'll go through the plot and sort of discuss the plot in quite in great detail. So not everybody's Italian in this film, though, are they? So no, that, but so, uh, that, that's a common Argento thing, which tracks back to the first Giallo. So in, in the girl who knew, who knew too much, it's an American visiting Rome who witnesses a murder and then gets caught up in, the investigation of tr attempting to solve the murder. So that plot point became very common in Giallo. And the bird with the crystal plumage, <laughs> which is Argento's first Giallo, same thing happens. It's a very similar to Tenebrae. It's a writer visiting Rome, American writer, who witnesses a murder 
and then mm -hmm. gets caught up in investigating it. Same thing happens in Deep Red, except he's British. Um, so yeah, he's it's an American who who except in this case, it's not the accidentally witnessing a murder and becoming involved in the investigation. He, you know, is is targeted by the the killer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because I, I find it quite quite interesting to try and work out. I was like, is that person Italian? Is that person? <laughs> I, I, I kind of enjoyed that that sense of it. Um, it was like when John Steiner turns up, I was a bit like, hang on a minute. Yeah, not John yeah. Steiner. John Steiner is the uh, the talk show host guy. John Saxon yeah. is who I meant. Right. Sorry. Um, so yeah, Although as John soon as he is also not Italian. What was that? John Steiner is also not Italian. Also not Italian. Yeah, you can just tell, can't you? You can just tell. Uh, it, uh, without looking, John Steiner is he English? Yeah. Yeah, just tell. You can just tell. It could, didn't even look American to me. Um, but yeah, obviously, um, a Nightmare on Elm Street, John Saxon. Uh, but yeah. John Saxon also in the first Giallo, uh, The Girl Who Knew Too Much. Oh, wow. Okay. So that's kind of like his thing then, something he, that he'd sort of become popular with. Well, just checking everything else he was in as well. I mean, horror royalty here. He's in Black Christmas. Obviously, a couple of Giallo films as well. Yeah, he's uh, one of the uh, probably most prolific he was, character he actors. Was my, yeah, great character actor. He was my number one. Um, I, I thought he was the killer in this for a long time. Oh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what it was. I was a bit like, it felt too obvious to be one person or another. Um there is a there is a I only noticed the killer was who it was, and I will explain the moment I realized. And it probably isn't the most obvious moment, <laughs> but, but we'll get we'll get to that when I went when the penny dropped for me. Um, yeah, okay. So the story centers around Mr. Peter Neal, who for some reason uh, cycles to the airport. Yeah, bizarre opening <laughs> to the movie for sure. <laughs> bizarre opening so initially i was like okay so this is set in america so it's like an italian giallo film set in america i thought that's interesting it's set in new york set in brooklyn or whatever uh no he gets on a plane immediately um to get to get to go to rome so he cycles while a driver of his drives <laughs> alongside him <laughs> and then takes his bike and takes his and bike his luggage. <laughs> oh my god High potential, and and he just goes and gets changed as well into a lovely suit. Also, Peter Neal has no idea that you're not supposed to leave your bag, your baggage unattended at any time when you're in the airport. Yeah, I think maybe <laughs> that was pre that announcement coming over the PA system every five minutes at an airport. <laughs> oh no! What? What? In 1982? Yeah, oh, sure you do. I'll just leave it anywhere. I'll just leave it here. Why not? Um. So yeah, in terms of so, so we've kind of gone through, gone through the cast and we and everything like that. So I guess we're just gonna just go through just go through the storyline. So he's going to Rome. Um, he's like on a press tour essentially. Correct. Um, yeah. His book. Uh, he's a he's accompanied by his literary agent Bulmer, who's played by John Saxon. His assistant Anne, and in the game of who's Italian and who's not Italian, I didn't have Anne down as Italian. Oh, that's because <laughs> she's being dubbed by an American. <laughs> easily confused i am you see <laughs> i got a minute she doesn't sound italian at all yeah but yeah uh, is the version on shutter as well is that edited in any way is that that's not like a there's nope. like an american that's version the, in there that's the full version yeah okay the so american of, version 
Tenebrae was actually called Unsane. And it was only missing a few minutes. Oh, Unsane. But, there is a movie called Unsane, isn't there? Probably. There I is. That, that, the, the, iPhone, the iPhone shot movie. Have you seen that? Mm, Who's in that? Uh, maybe. Hey, yeah, yeah. The, what's his face? Uh, uh, Soderbergh. Soderbergh, yeah, that's it. Um, I was trying to think of who's in it. Claire Foy, um, yeah, Correct. the iPhone shot movie. Yeah, there we go. Playing in America. Um, that's called Unsane. I li- I like that when I think. I wonder if they named that film after this potentially. Who knows? Who knows? Um, so, <laughs> so, so they go to they go to Rome. Is Rome, isn't it? And Neil's unaware. He's also been followed to Rome by his embittered ex-fiance jane um and basically we can kind of work out what happens here because peter gets a gets a call and he leaves his bag unattended and then when he comes back his bag's like in a different place to where he left it and gets a call from her and then you and then it's revealed that she's in the airport calling him from the phone booth literally it's very obvious that she's the person who tampered with his bag (laughs) It's, she's so close that you probably could hear her actual voice coming from there if you just went, what? And uh, also, the, the, her accomplice in that scene who actually messes with the bag and then stands with her in the completely unnecessarily complicated sweeping dolly shot around them as she watches his plane leave. She's never in the rest of the movie. She's just gone. No. <laughs> so, so, so I was confused. First of all, I thought that she was Anne, that character. The... Okay. Uh, the is that the name of the yeah and and this year i thought it was the same actress for some reason i was like okay oh so it was, yeah. you don't know daria nicolodi by sight as as of as i've already mentioned as a a, a beginner as a as a noob when it comes to giallo unfortunately not colin oh, i'm sorry she to disappoint only you. Giallo, though. She was in a, a lot of stuff what else was she in she's freaking daria nicolodi i'm sorry <laughs> he was in shock <laughs> mario bava's last movie before he died okay Oh, she was in. She was in. Well, obviously, she was in loads of Dario Argento things. Yes, well, wasn't she? she was. Oh, she's. In, she was. I was about to say she was in Sinbad and the Seven Seas, but she's just a narrator. I wouldn't have recognized. <laughs> I wouldn't have recognized her. Uh, that's why I'm. That's why I'm not presenting my show on Shadow talking about Tenebrae, giving you the wrong, <laughs> giving you the wrong, because I know nothing. I'm an imbecile. I'm an imbecile when it comes to this. As I said. You're teaching me um so yeah and then we get like a lovely shoplifting scene which i enjoyed i enjoy shoplifting scenes uh now you're not supposed to apprehend a shoplifter you're pretty much just supposed to go all right see you later maybe call security he takes her into his <laughs> into his office and how am i gonna get out of this it's strange because i was like i've definitely seen this particular scenario but definitely not in um, this kind of movie <laughs> <laughs> Oh what 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 was she? Oh yeah, so she was stealing a copy of Tenebrae. Um, yes, book, yeah. How often have you been so desperate to get your hands on a on some literature that you're willing to five finger discount it? Well, I think she's obviously uh, got a pathological streak because when they he mentions that she's been convicted twelve times. Of <laughs> that's that's not, you don't you don't get caught twelve times because you're shoplifting out of necessity. That's, I feel like I feel like you get better at it. I feel like you just yeah that too. The days before CCTV, I think you just be a lot. I like to start there because she had two copies of it. 
and then she snuck one into her bag, but she had the other one out. out. Like, I'm not stealing it. Here it is. The fact that she very quickly offers uh, sex in exchange for not being busted, maybe that's why she gets caught most of the time. Maybe it's actually just her favorite way to initiate sex. To pick up up middle-aged men. Also, she could have given any address. (laughs) I know. That's my favorite part is that I thought that's where it was going to go. Yeah. <laughs> not, she's just gonna give him the wrong address and then he's gonna be just all right i'm here i'm here i'm here for sex with that shoplifter <laughs> sorry yeah <laughs> i think you got the wrong house no 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 it's, it's written easy. down here it's written down here that's, i just feel that's the perfect way to get out of anything isn't it just offer sex but then just give the wrong address mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's completely faultless completely faultless um and then we follow elsa so just before, yeah. So Elsa's the female shoplifter. She we follow her home where she's um, accosted by so randomly by so, a, a very random, almost like if you asked uh, like a school <laughs> a school to like dress someone as a homeless person, literally just smeared in dirt, ripped clothes, yeah. and for some reason, I mean, he, he is pretty terrifying. I was I was pretty terrified by this dude um, screaming at her, grabbing her. Um, and he didn't take no for an answer because he got knocked to the ground and he still came out. Uh, yeah. It's it interesting where this goes. So there's a lot of like unprovoked attacks from a homeless guy, a dog that don't seem to be related to the killer in any sort of way. Yeah. So I th- apparently um, Argento was kind of reflecting his fears of um, how violent society had become. So he immediately leading up to this film you know he was coming off the back of Suspiria and Inferno which is what gave him international fame and he had been in LA for a while and there were a few events that all happened while he was living in LA that uh, influenced his decision to make this film one of them was he got uh, some fan of his got hold of his phone number and was repeatedly calling him and they started off as just like obsessed fan calls but then turned into death threats um, and then around the same time in the hotel that he was staying at in LA, a tourist was, uh, shot to death in the lobby. Uh, and then oh, wow. another, okay. another tourist was killed in the street and he, he tried to, you know, re- look for information on these, these killings. And it didn't seem that any of them were motivated by anything in particular. So this idea of just like violence for the sake of violence really frightened him. And so he wrote, he wrote that into that. That's where those elements of, of the, the film, that's what they're inspired by, apparently, according to him. And I say apparently and according to him, because I have watched quite a number of Dario Argento interviews. And in some interviews, he contradicts things he said. In oh, yeah. Those guys. So, uh, on, pur- on purpose? Or is he going to just, he's had enough? And he's just I like, don't know. I do think sometimes he likes to mess with people. But, um, but that does sound like a a seemingly legitimate reason to have those random uh yeah yeah um because there is something kind of like strange about like all of the locations in this place like it doesn't feel i mean i've I've never actually been to rome but it doesn't feel particularly european like how yeah, he I got th- he i think also he was trying to do um uh, what's the guy's name? Um, Luciano Tavoli, the cinematographer, who's like an incredible cinematographer. He shot Suspiria. Uh, apparently, Argento wanted to do something that was like the opposite 
you know, he had gone like so primary mm, color and okay. like flamboyant in Suspiria. He wanted to do the opposite. And he also um, didn't want to, there's this like museum aspect to, to Rome, right? In terms of how it gets showcased in movies that are shot in Rome, you know, just yeah. like the Colosseum and the Spanish steps and all that stuff gets yeah, shown yeah. all the time. And so he didn't, he wanted to avoid all that stuff. And there actually is like a modern side to Rome, which is what he focused on. It's very, it's very modern, isn't it? Like some of the architecture and everything is incredibly the, modern. The, the Tilda and Marion's house, for instance, is so bizarre and just like made of concrete when they show the ex, you know, it's just like a blocky concrete. Yeah. Very modern. Yeah. <laughs> creepy looking and it's funny because you think of like old architecture kind of spooky but the modern architecture in this movie is actually more unsettling i find because it's so bland and lifeless but yeah that uh, one scene where it's like the killer's point of view kind of like climbing up i guess over over those sort of like blocking oh yeah that's a exteriors. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i forget what the quote is there's um kim newman he's like a, a british film critic oh I yeah kim he, newman yeah he called that, uh, I think, sense senselessly brilliant or something like that. Just like how it, it, there's no purpose to that shot, but it's still brilliant. You know, just go, like just go in for the front door. Just go in for the front door. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> Climbing up this. Yeah. To be fair, easy to climb. Loads of all in, yeah. <laughs> all in, all in there. Yeah. Um, but there's also someone here saying that Tenebrae allowed Argento to realize his vision that the film reflects a near future of a diminished population. Yeah, so that's one of the things that that I've kind of heard conflicting Hmm. information on as to whether or not that's true, but sure. Yeah, sure. I mean, there's nothing particular that makes it necessarily feel like that. Um, I guess like if there were, I don't know, I don't know. that, but there are plenty of like weird, weird scenarios, especially like with this with this guy. I don't. I say homeless guy. Who knows? Um, the guy who just randomly starts attacking her, and uh, there's a bit of tension as she try, fumbles with her keys to get inside. Um, but yeah, she is essentially the first victim of of the of the Jalo killer. And do we see do we see gloved hands at this point? I know that's a very yeah, very Jalo, very Jalo. Then you see the black glove hands. You see the straight razor. Yeah. In the air, yeah, it's like good. a classic Giallo weapon. Ugh. Stuffing the pages of his book in her mouth. Oh yeah, oh, that's good though. I like that. It's just like the <laughs> everything. The sort of sound design is really good in these moments. Yeah. Uh, the blood obviously is very distinctive and very very red. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's great. I mean, it's not the bloodiest scene in this movie by any stretch. However, no. I mean, this movie does have one of the bloody, one of the most unnecessarily bloody kills in, in horror. Oh, yeah. It's fantastic. Um, so, yeah, after this murder, the killer, like, takes photos as well of the, of the corpses um, and sends Neil a letter, which, like, gets slipped under the door, um, informing him that his books have inspired him to go on a killing spree. So, basically, when Peter Neil arrives in Rome, arrives at this place he's staying, um, it's not a hotel, is it? I guess it's just a. I think it gets called an apartment. It certainly feels like a like a hotel, yeah. but it, it must be one of the you know like uh, extended stay type places. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the police are already there. Uh, a, poli- a couple, a couple of police detectives who are sort of there to inform him. Germani um, and Altieri. 
Altieri is the female. Oh, okay. Detective Germani and the, the detective Altieri is the inspector who assists him. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and they kind of like inform Peter that that uh, someone's been killed, and and they and the book was the person had just shot. I've just had the book and stuffed the pages of the book into my mouth. He says something like, "If someone's killed with a Smith and Western revolver, do you go and conquer?" He's like, "It's not quite the same." Yeah, I know. <laughs> wasn't killed by the book. Didn't yeah. just like go. Just use this book to bludgeon someone to death. Um, your book was very much part of it, uh, and yeah, and then it, obviously the letter informs him that these books have inspired him to go on a killing spree. And Peter Neal's just like, "You're not. You don't understand." <laughs> it's like pe- people who is it like people who worship. Uh, uh, what's his name from American Psycho? What's his name? Patrick Bateman. Patrick Bateman, that's it. Oh, I forgot that for a second. Why did I forget that? But, you know, people who worship him, they go, oh, yeah, he's great, isn't he? So I don't think that was ever the point of the book or the film. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to drop this chainsaw down a flight of stairs. Oh, God. My my ne- my nephew, who's 10 years old, asked me about Patrick Bateman recently. He's obviously seen stuff online or whatever. <laughs> and I was just like, what? And I just went, without really knowing what to say, I went, what do you reckon, Ed? Do you reckon it's all in his head or what? <laughs> Little ten year old just went, What? <laughs> what? <laughs> he murders people, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, he does. That's all it's about. That's all it don't watch the sequel. God. Um <laughs> So But yeah, of course, then there's a phone call as well. And how do how do they realise that it's coming from it's coming from literally Oh yeah, because he says you can see them. He says you can yeah, see it's a classic Peter. Classic Giallo phone call, which is one of the main things. Another one of the many things Slasher took from Giallo is the killer is on the phone and can mm. see you. And they're like, well, where could he possibly be? He's literally down on the street. Um, yeah. And then det- the detectives uh, get their weapons out and brandish their guns as if they've never held a firearm before, ever. Yes. Very <laughs> poorly trained detectives. It's literally like, it was just like me. If someone went, oh, oh aim this gun over there. What? God. I don't know. You know how to do it, don't you? Pull the trigger. When any character gets told, have you used a gun before? Take it. Do you know how to use one of these things? Just point and shoot. Just point and shoot, right? <laughs> That's pretty much it. <laughs> what does he do? Does he just teleport out the way? See, this was the, this was the confusing thing, because initially, already, I was starting to think, who could it be? Who could be the killer in this scenario? But it's good because this film does a very good job of putting people in the line of sight of this could possibly be the killer, and then right. immediately putting putting a a scene come is is shown that eliminates them from from any sense of that they could be involved, um, right. which is good. And obviously, like sure, modern slashers do a lot of things where there's more than one killer, but this does do that, but in a completely different way isn't it in a really yeah. sort of genius way as well um so yeah they did run out and the killer's obviously gone already oh god i'm getting choked up there uh, <laughs> the killer's gone uh yeah so and then we move on to the scenario as we mentioned before where uh peter's doing some doing some pr or doing some promote promotional material for someone he's, and he's talking to a journalist um who seems they know each other? They seem they seem lovely, but as soon as that interview starts, as soon as ple- as soon as record is pressed on a little, even though she uses that, she takes him to town. Mm-hmm. 
and it's probably like do you think that represents how he feels about certain journalists yeah, yeah, who probably like yeah. are, are friendly with him and nice to him and then suddenly as soon as the you know as soon as the gloves are off yeah that's it yeah and basically just accusing him his books of being misogynist um and yeah peter clearly doesn't take he doesn't take kindly to it but he doesn't like lo- lose his lose his temper at all does he yeah no he's pretty diplomatic about it he's just hmm. like the he smiles and laughs actually at first and then kind of explains his the yeah. way that he looks at it because it's quite she comes she's quite aggressive with the way that she she could have just asked in a, in a nice diplomatic manner and maybe peter neil would have been would have been okay this this moment is when i started as a, as a first time viewer of tenebrae started looking at everybody's wrists and how hairy they were because when some gloves went on earlier, I'm pretty sure I saw some hairy wrists. And I was looking, <laughs> I was like, who's got hairy wrists then? Who's got the <laughs> Robin Williams style hairy wrists and hairy forearms? Um, and I was trying to, and that, that is why as soon as John Saxon turned up, I went, he looks like exactly the kind of guy who's got hairy forearms <laughs> and wrists without a doubt. And I spent most of the film just trying to get a good look, getting a good sneak, <laughs> sneaky look <laughs> at his forearms. Um, so, yeah, as you mentioned before, uh, so Tilde and her lover, Marion. So Marion's your favorite uh, Jello character of all time. Um, one of, yeah, just because one of, it, one of my favorite, probably my favorite, like uh, queer female in Jello, just because of how ridiculously <laughs> gratuitous she is. Um, yeah completely unnecessarily revealing at all times yeah but it's interesting for that so that sort of character to be included as well like uh someone who's clearly very comfortable with her sexuality she's uh um do we think that she's bisexual or that she's because uh, i kept getting the vibe that she was only using that other side of her sexuality to get at tilde is it tilde or tilda tilda yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter if that's the reason or not. She's still bisexual, but uh, or <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course, of course. She's just not, yeah, she's just not strictly gay. She's not but, strictly uh, gay, but her nipple, her left like, nipple. It's just many types of stereotyping of queer people, right? It's just like, uh, yeah, especially uh, even in the queer community, if you're not gay, if you if you're interested in more than one gender expression, whether you're bisexual or pansexual or anything else that's not strictly gay, you do get stereotyped as being a slut. <laughs> it's people assume bisexual people are incredibly promiscuous. Even other queer people assume that. Yeah, um, <laughs> promiscuous. Uh, yeah, because people when when you know bisexuality, a lot of people just like, oh, greedy. <laughs> You just got, like, you just oh got more options. It's math. It's math. More options are great, right? Come on. You only live once, uh, and and Marion is of that of that ilk. And her, as we mentioned before, her left nipple is all pretty much always on show. I can yeah. even kind of imagine the moments between shots where she was just adjusting to make sure that yeah. left nipple was on show at all times because. In some scenes, she's just out of the shower, so you can kind of imagine it makes sense where a nipple would be out. Other times, she's just chilling in the bar. Yeah, strangely, <laughs> strangely chilling in the bar. Uh, uh, <laughs> and then we've got 
Do we put is 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 Tilda Tilda the Tilda the second or Tilda marrying the second and third victims? Is there anyone before that? Correct. Nope. They it's are. Yeah. Although, if you if you're going to include, if you're going to be real technical about it, and include the flashbacks. There is. Oh wow! Of course, yeah. We've not even mentioned the flashbacks. Place. Yeah. So this, I can't remember exactly when the the sort of first instance of this flashback takes place. It's very, very strange, isn't it? it, it it's, it's a very strange sort of flashback where it Do doesn't... You want to makes it even stranger that you probably didn't realize? Go on. The woman who is the subject of his flashbacks, the woman who humiliates him with the red high heels, is played by an actress, Ava Robbins, who is trans. And if okay. you pay attention... Okay. If you pay attention to the first beach scene when she's approaching them uh, after the other boys have pinned them down and she's approaching, you can clearly see in the because of the wind, uh, the you know her package, <laughs> her package, her hmm. well, honestly, I mean, I, I the, the the strange bit that I thought was that everyone was wearing like white linen trousers. Yeah, that's the that only is... thing that I thought was strange of all the scenes. Was everyone wearing linen trousers? And I enjoyed that when two men approached her, one of them put their hand on the other guy. <laughs> I enjoyed that. <laughs> I was like, everyone was topless with linen trousers on. Um, and yeah, so this woman is it's strange, isn't it? Because what were we supposed to believe that this situation was? It was like a situation where there was going to be some sort of like group sexual activity and one of the characters for some reason hit, like hit her first. Yeah, so he obviously was not okay. You know, he's much like the character in the book he's writing. Yeah. Um, and much like the first killer ends up being, he's judging her for... for corruption or aberrant behavior or whatever you want to call it because she was about to have group sex with a bunch of boys let's be fair i mean she's clearly an adult and they're children uh so he slaps her i'm guessing in judgment of that and then in retaliation the other boys hold it hold him down and she kicks him a bunch of times and then jams her high heel in his oh, mouth yeah that was very i mean some people are into that but i i I've always kind of felt like, oh, are you in control? Am I going to get impaled by a heel? Um, but yeah, so is that where we spoke? Because you didn't really see the 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 boys, the men from some sort of like the waist up at this particular angle. You do right at the starting, the first shot of that first flashback, they're actually sitting underneath like a little wicker thing before she gets up and walks out into the sand and takes mm. off you know, her, her top or the top was, half of her dress. Was the actress being trans? Like, was that included? Was that part of the story at all? Was that did no. it just happened to be? That she yeah, no, it's just everybody, actress. everybody knows. And it's also, it's just, um, given Argento's history of subverting gender expectations, it's mm. unlikely that he was just like, Oh, she's the best person for the part. I'm, I'm sure it was a conscious decision to, to yeah. cast her. Wonder, there's another. Kind of... There's a role in in Deep Red that you may be able to spot. That is a uh, when you watch it. There's a a gay man who is actually played by a woman, and then a man dubs the voice. 
So it's like it's something that (laughs) that he does. And it's 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 another one of the reasons where it especially if you're queer watching these movies, it's some, you, mm. you know that because you research that and queer people know that. And it's part of the whole, like, not just Giallo, but his Giallo movies are more queer than, than, than average as well. Mm. All, there's a lot of queerness in Giallo in general, but in his, it's, there's seems to be so much of it going on. And to, also what you were talking about before, there is a little bit of a homoerotic, homoerotic element, even to the boys in that scene, all yeah, definitely. 100%. shirtless and, you know, holding each other and like wearing, you know, <laughs> white linen pants. It's a weird that <laughs> those flashbacks are extremely queer. It is not it doesn't take much to read queerness into those flashbacks. But this is the thing, it like it's not heavy handed still, despite the fact that it's very obvious. It's not heavy handed. And when you said things about yeah. like um uh gender gender politics, but also like politics in general in modern horror or modern cinema in any way they've pretty much got it written on their heads when you said that i was kind of like most of the time these characters have got it written like on a t-shirt like there's some sort of slogan on their t-shirt which says i don't know it'll say something which which is is politically charged and you already know what to expect of that character you know you don't need to know that a character is queer because you know they'll have a t-shirt on which which says (laughs) <laughs> well, I mean, do you know what I mean? It could say, could say anything. It could say, I don't know. God, God is a woman. God is trans. It could say something yeah. like that, and we know what we know everything about that character. Whereas in this, yeah. the queer, the queer elements of it aren't. While while you may think they're obvious, like they're not heavy-handed to a degree where you would go, yeah, I see where it's it's, it's point of references, but yeah, it's funny but, because at the time it wouldn't have been considered subtle, but we've become so unsubtle yeah. now yeah, yeah, yeah. that it doesn't take much. Hang on a like, minute. How am I supposed to know? <laughs> yeah. Who's in a relationship with who here? How am I supposed to know? I don't yeah. know. Uh, <laughs> and oh, linen trousers are pretty gay, right? Totally. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that's the thing. I don't know if I've ever owned any. Have I ever owned any linen trousers? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Um, but yeah, th- these scenes obviously are interesting because you, I was like, how do these relate to this in a way? I kind of kept thinking maybe it's the it's the woman at the center of these things who is the killer. That's initially what I was thinking. Um, and now we're now we're trying to see how this character has come to become a murder in some way. But no, that's not where. Uh, but red heels, red shoes are very, very key to to how the how the plot unfolds from there um so yeah, yeah poor Matt. The, boy, the boy that she humiliates is is obviously uh peter neil yeah yeah it's peter neil um uh and i wasn't just looking at the forearms at this point because <laughs> he's a lot younger developed developed some hairy forearms in older age it tends to happen you know when you get older you develop hair in places you never had it before forearms ears nostrils uh, so yeah poor poor tilda and marion uh get killed they have they're having an argument at home they live in the house the very modern blocky house marion is obviously saying that she slept with somebody and he was and he satisfied her in ways that tilda couldn't yeah. um and Tilda dies first. Obviously, she's changing. <laughs> she's changing from. I mean, it's a very iconic. The killer. Moment, so the killer always whispers some. The first killer whispers something before he kills everybody. 
you know, in the first with the shoplifter, he whispers that she's a thief, filthy thief. And in the 12, 12 times you convicted folks. Like... And then, yeah. And then in this, in this one, while we're sitting in this kind of like medium close up of Tilda standing in the room after she's yelled for Marion to turn the music down, we hear him whisper, um, perverts, filthy, slimy perverts, referring to their queerness. And it seems like she hears that, which is so weird because then she just like changes her shirt. <laughs> makes no she sense. hears it and she goes, damn internal monologue again. <laughs> yeah. And she shouts out to Marion, Marion, will you turn the main theme to the movie Tenebrae down? For God's yeah. sake. I'm sick of it. That- that's a thing. I don't know if you've watched any of the, the videos that we have in the campaign for, for Bath Bomb, but it's yeah. one of the many, many tropes from Giallo that we're going to adopt is, um, and he's not the first person to do it either, Argento. It was happened a lot in Giallo is blurring the lines between uh, diegetic music and, and non-diegetic music. So it's mm. you know, something that you think is the score is actually being played yeah. in the scene you find out later and the opposite happened often too where it's like somebody plays something on a stereo and then as the scene goes on and the emotion of the scene changes the music changes to match the emotion of the scene and you're like wait a minute didn't somebody just play that on a stereo how could it possibly <laughs> be following the, the scene i love it it's one of my favorite things about giallo it was just like yeah there's so much weird idiosyncratic stuff going on in this genre it's the best yeah, um, and as we've already mentioned about Marion be, being topless, we've mentioned that she's soaking wet as well. She just got out of the shower, and as, as again, as I already mentioned, she's drying herself off with a sheet. And and after, well, obviously, before before we mention that, Tilda, the the razor does slice the t uh, her shirt, and that iconic scene of his, uh, the iconic visual of her sort both, of looking through their, um, Deaths are iconic. Most of the posters for this movie are either the image that's behind you right now of tilda through the sheet which is what's on that japanese release poster i have or it's marion's head hanging through the glass with her hair down after she gets killed i mean yeah. those are both really cool very well choreographed yeah like they're really good visuals definitely um so yeah kills the pair of those and then send another letter to peter neil after that um, i believe so yeah. yeah, you never guess what. And then and then pretty much doubles down on, on what he was whispering about them being filthy perverts and the degenerates used. Pretty sure it is. Don't don't say I've added that because it definitely wasn't on purpose. No, I think <laughs> something like that, isn't it? A couple of terms. He he keeps talking about aberrant behavior. He uses that term mm. a lot. And corruption. Those are the terms he likes to use. Mm. You know, I really do think that this movie, uh, might have i mean i know giallo was an influence on um andrew david walker the guy who wrote seven but mm-hmm. um i think this movie kind of in particular because the killer's killing people essentially for their corruption sins, which is yeah 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 far off from from killing them for their sins yeah and different reasons as well isn't it? yeah like so yeah. yeah someone's sort of shoplifting being gay <laughs> If there's two things I hate, that's what the killer's saying. <laughs> Shoplifters number one, right? That's were, I can't forgive that for a second. Twelve times shoplifted. That's the worst. Being gay, close second. Third. Yeah. What's the third one? Um, 
so oh yeah so i think that is the next scene the the dog so well you do there's a few things that happen um Oh, also the fact that Marion's head smashes through glass. That's like a classic Argento oh, thing. Yeah. It happens, I think, several times in Suspiria. Hmm. Um, and it happens... Oh, you haven't watched Deep Red yet. Never mind. I didn't say anything about Deep Red. Okay. Uh, we actually see the killer's hideout for a second immediately after the Marion death. Hmm. After he takes the pictures, we see that there's a room where he's like been developing his photos and hanging them. You know, classic. Hmm. Which is also something that happens in Seven um yeah of course and then there's like you meet the hotel manager and his young daughter goes up to like fix the hot yeah. water in a very weird like flirty scene and then yeah. Anne comes back and accuses him of flirting with her and then he says that's jailbait <laughs> i didn't even know i didn't know <laughs> the term back then i love that scene but uh it's obviously a term that's been around for a long long time uh, yeah, it's true. And the, the yeah, so the daughter of the landlord is the one who gets chased by the dog, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah it's weird how it all sort of like links back to that. Um, but yeah, just I mean, this is pretty terrifying if you're scared of dogs because most of the time the dogs behind a fence, absolutely fine. Seeing a seeing like a dog leap over over the yeah, fence, that was amazing. Terrifying. Special effects there either. That's a no. an actual Doberman that actual climbs th over a fucking fence. <laughs> Jesus. And it's like, it's just constant. It just goes on for so long. You know, you think she's safe and then no, it's still coming. Oh God, this Doberman really wants to get to her. So essentially chases her onto the killer's like property um, initially. And this, this was again, another thing. So I was like, okay, it was a big house. So clearly this is somebody with a lot of money. Who's the killer. So again, I was yeah. trying to work out what was going on. And then I was like, okay, it's in a basement. So is this person living there without the person who owns the house? So they don't know that that person's there. Um, so, yeah, she hides in the house, in the basement, sorry, and then finds the killer's, you know, newspaper clippings, photos, and everything like that. Just got what you got to do, right? You got to keep all the evidence in one place. I love also how he has, like, the the dish of cutout letters. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. For the, for the little sort of ransom note type thing. Yeah. No, got, awesome. What I like about that is that he's prepared. Okay, because I uh, I can only imagine like getting pent up with rage and going right. That's it. I got to write a angry, <laughs> an angry ransom note, whatever it's called. I got I got so much to say, and then going, oh, I got to cut these letters out now. <laughs> your your rage would dissipate, and you'd just be like, I'm not that mad anymore. I'm not going to say what's it. But if you've got the letters ready to go, you'd just be like, right, that's it. <laughs> exactly. exactly. So again, yeah, all of the, um, and then obviously she realizes all of a sudden that it's not just a dog she needs to be scared of. The person in this house is is the murderer that we've been just, that we've been sort of following up to this point. She goes up, she goes up into the house, picks up the phone, tries to call. Who's trying to call? Police? Who knows? Probably. And but again, then. we get the get the POV of the killer as he comes into the house and chases her out. Um, and then yeah, she does some terrible falling over, didn't she? Where I'm just like, oh god, you were yeah. doing well running away from the dog, and that and the dog is far faster and more agile than this guy. Uh, Although, girl, she felt like again, I gotta run again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Her body just wasn't up for it. <laughs> like... No, um, and axes her to death. 
Um, yeah. you think you think the killer would clean up after himself because the next day we see the gardener like, oh yeah, because she shoved all of the all of the evidence, all of the newspaper clips and stuff into her into her uh, jean short pockets. Yeah, and and then used them as like <laughs> throwing them at the killer, like, them at the killer. like he's gonna go what? Ah, what have I been doing? <laughs> um, yeah, the next day like the gardener. <laughs> The garden like is just mulching them up. Um, so yeah, and then after this scene is when Neil goes to meet the TV interviewer Cristiano Berti, uh, who's got like a huge interest in his work. And on his show, he's almost going, "I'm going to do a really in-depth interview with you." And then he sort of start, starts explaining the kind of questions he's going to ask. And Peter Neil says, "You've got me all wrong. You've got me all wrong. You have absolutely no idea." Uh, the true nature of my work. Um, and then he goes on to do the interview. And yeah, and then John Saxon was kind of like watching the police, the police turn up and sort of inform them that someone else is dead. Um, really racking up the kill count as well, right? Yeah, I mean, there's way more too. We're only at like four kills. Mm. Uh, and that is where, and so, so that evening, so Neil pretty much <laughs> bit, bit, gets his detective hat on and goes that tv interviewer he loved me he absolutely loved me um i reckon he's the killer i reckon he's the killer yeah. and it wouldn't it be a great story if if i if i solved the case the police couldn't yeah, do it. it yeah but peter neil did and i'm like it, Don't get i mean it. it's not that much of a stretch that he would think he's the killer because as he explains the guy incorrectly uh birdie the the killer in when they're at the tv interview incorrectly says that this guy is killing people to punish them for their corruption and peter neil's like no and then when he gets the the next letter he realizes the killer is killing right, people yeah. because of their corruption and he's like that's exactly what that guy said and that guy's also obsessed with my book and he's yeah. putting quotes from my book in these freaking letters so it's not it isn't ridiculous is it no but there are two things that don't make any sense about what happens next so one is that this famous tv host his number is not unlisted it's just in the phone book with his address <laughs> yeah and then the next thing that doesn't make sense is that <laughs> him and when he he sees the address, he's like, "Oh, it's only three blocks from here." And then the next scene is him and Johnny driving to his house, <laughs> and they clearly drive more than three blocks. It's, why would you drive at all? It's three blocks. You could have walked. <laughs> no, no, Gianni, could Gianni get a car? Warm the car up. Let's go. So Gianni's like. Who is he? Like an assistant, sort of just a he's an intern at, at John Saxon's agency. That's right. That's right. He's yeah. So he's just like helping take, out take there. doing various things, driving him about, uh, and witnessing murders, it would seem. Uh yeah. bless him. And also and... another thing that doesn't make any sense. We're winding for a little bit. Yeah, go on. The right before Maria, the uh the girl who gets chased by the dog, right before that happens. She's flirting with Gianni in the hotel room and then they leave together and Johnny says that he's going to go, that he's going to, if he needs him, he'll, he'll, he's going to be with her. And then the very next scene is her getting on a motorcycle with a completely different guy. And that <laughs> guy, 
she has a fight with, which is why she yeah. gets left by the yard with the dog. So what the hell happened to Johnny? <laughs> just like... She just went, she went, Johnny, I got to be honest with you. You're not my type. You, you, yeah. you, I mean, you got lovely hair. Um, however, you, you haven't got a motorcycle. Uh, so I'm afraid. I'll see you later. <laughs> so yeah. So Peter obviously takes Gianni to to have a look. I don't. What what are they expecting to do at this point? Are they expecting to just because they literally see um, Cristiano in the house, like with just a pile of stuff, kind of like again, he's going for whether it's the evidence, whether it's his research into yeah. into um, Peter's work, and then for some reason Gianni gets a bit closer. Why does he get closer and and Peter doesn't? I know Peter gets smashed on the cranium, oh, but. Very- He's he's gonna go around the back, and Peter's supposed to go around the front. Classic, um, classic. Which people always do in movies, and it's always the stupidest idea. <laughs> what, what can we just? We can see him. We, he's literally there. Yeah, but yeah. if I go around the front, I might get a better view of something. And yeah. even Gianni, who's like what five feet away from the window, still sees just what a floating axe kill him because he's like he's got absolutely nothing for him. Did you see the? Did you see the murderer's face? Did you see anything about him? Height age anything like that i just i'm afraid i just saw a floating disembodied axe come and (laughs) slice him in the head (laughs) so yeah gianni witnesses that and uh, again another glass break here isn't it yes he then Mm. throws a metal piece of art through the window for no apparent reason a couple of metal pieces of art again you know i think that's the reason he does it is just because he's trying to foreshadow the art Got you. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, but yeah, then when Gianni comes back to Peter, he realizes that he's been. I mean, who was supposed to have done that? Peter to himself. That was that. Yeah, that was supposed to be Peter. Was supposed to hit the thing. It clearly the geography and timing doesn't make sense. No, because at first you're thinking, okay, the reason Gianni <laughs> didn't know it was Peter is because he must have put on, you know, a giallo esque disguise but that means that he split up with johnny changed clothes got into the house turned the lights out killed the guy changed back into his regular clothes bashed himself in the head with a rock and went back to his original location in front of the house so it's like one one of those things as well where you're like you can't your body won't allow you to physically hurt yourself you're like well i'm gonna punch myself now Oh no! Well, I can't physically do. I don't feel like could you smash yourself in the back of the head with a rock? I feel like you just like give yourself a light tap. Because <laughs> it was like he had like a bold spot afterwards, yeah. didn't he? Yeah, like he, re- he really went for it. I feel like I just I just lie down next to the rock and then say, "Oh, I think someone hit me on the other this rock." That's <laughs> a fully fully commit to smashing your head in with a rock. <laughs> Silly. But yeah, I think especially we're supposed to believe that Peter's never been in that house before either, right? Yeah. So he had to find his way in, find his way to like the. Uh, when I walk into a new house for the first time, it takes me ages to find a light switch. Oh, yeah. can you just switch it? What? <laughs> He's managed to switch all the lights. So he found a power grid. He also found the same axe that. Oh yeah. To kill Maria. <laughs> it's good. I mean, we're suspending our disbelief. But I still like it because, again, 
I, I, I think it was at this moment that I went, okay, well, it's not Peter then. He's not the killer. Because I think maybe a part of oh, me really? was like... That was the moment when was I it? was like, oh, Peter obviously gonna, killed that guy. <laughs> I'm going to tell you the moment when I say I realized that it was okay. Peter, but we'll get to it. We'll get to it. It wasn't this moment. I feel like by doing this full podcast episode, you're realizing what an idiot I am. I apologize for that. <laughs> I apologize for that. <laughs> I think I'm just like, uh, I, I think it's one of the reasons I enjoy horror films, right? Because despite the amount of horror films I've seen and all of the, all of the really common threads that run through all these films, I don't know. Sometimes I'm still, I still feel like a sort of a brand new, a brand new audience member witnessing these things for the first time. And I think but like something of, like Jello. A lot of horror films, especially modern ones, just it's arbitrary at the end. Like, mm. especially these new, like the last two screen movies, either you guess who the killer is because it's pretty obvious, but yeah. it's not obvious in like a, oh, if you go back and watch the movie again, all the clues were yeah. there, which is the case in Tenebrae. It's not obvious yeah. in that way. It's obvious in just like if they just picked a person who is obviously the killer and then they didn't lay any trail of clues for you to figure out later. They just explain. Yeah. yeah explain it with the worst exposition ever written at the ending of the movie. Uh, I but think I just, agree. And, you know, I think those films can probably learn a lot from a film like this going back to it because. But the funny I thing think... is, is, those films all were influenced by these movies, like Scream, especially. Mm. I mean, screen, all the screen movies are Giallo movies. They're, because it, it's not like a, you know. It's not, it's not like a supernatural it's, killer. It's always Yeah, a or, or, you know, quasi-supernatural subhuman killer like Michael Myers. It's, it's one of your friends. And the point of the movie is you spend the whole time trying to figure out who the killer is, just like in Giallo. Um, but they're just dumb versions of Giallo. Because know? I think I mentioned this. The last two screen movies I've enjoyed up until the reveal. Yeah, then, I, that's how I feel about all the Scream movies, even the first one. Every Scream movie is great until the reveal. And then you're like, this is laughably unintelligent. Yeah, it's all. Yeah, I, I, I think. Yeah, I think I agree. It's kind of just I was related to someone who died or I am related to someone who was a killer. And yeah. for some reason, I don't understand that because they're a killer, they, they also deserve to die. So I'm angry about it for some reason. <laughs> you do know that your your son like murdered like nine people or something yeah but now we're all we're all psychopaths all of us the old family yeah Yeah. it's frustrating though isn't it because this is the perfect example of the killer is is something is somebody it feels obvious that 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 person should be the killer but it kind of it makes sense and the fact that there's more than one killer and they're not in cahoots in this film is very very interesting. That is an interesting twist for sure. Yeah, yeah. Like like it like it reawakens something in, and that's what the the flashbacks serve to to sort of make sense of that. And the the killer who's killing like in your in essentially in your honor or the honor of your work, it that reawakes something in you that you because I'm assuming this we're supposed to believe that Peter Neal hadn't killed anybody else. Yes, yeah. he killed that person, and then this reawoke that um yeah, there is to be fair when during the rock thing i wasn't like it's 100 percent him i was like okay he's probably because that was so silly i was like there's no way he could have done 
you know, there's not like he didn't knock himself out with that rock. That's way too convenient. So I, I thought he was likely the killer later, which I, I guess we'll get to. There's an, a thing related to the flashbacks where I was like, oh, then he's the only person left who could be the killer. Mm. Um, well, yeah. yeah, we can, we can get to that. Um, okay. So after the axe killing, poor Gianni, he's absolutely terrified. He's getting PTSD seriously from seeing that killing. Don't blame him. Um, but yeah, so basically we discovered that like obviously Bertie was obsessed with Neil's novels, uh, believes the killings, and everyone believes the killings are going to stop now that Bertie is dead. That's it. We got him. We got him. Um, uh, but then another element of the whole scenario is is slowly revealed to us that that Bulmer, John Saxon himself, yeah, is having is having an affair with Jane, yeah, who is is Peter Neil's ex fiance, yeah, um. Yeah, and it's it's kind of interesting how that sort of plays out as well, isn't it? Because they're clearly trying to like frame Peter Neal for something, which is why they put the what did they put in his bag? Just like shredded up. Yeah, I think she was just. I don't think she's trying to frame him. Just like Fuck with being him. shitty because she shred up his clothes and also smashed the watch that he was going to give yeah, as a gift. Right. Shred up his lovely cycling outfit, right? Yeah. I think you look like a dick in this outfit. I'm just going to shred it to bits. Who cycles that. to the airport? I'm going to shred this. <laughs> Who cycles to the airport? What time you got to get to the airport? I usually get to the airport a couple of hours before takeoff. Make it three hours because I'm going to cycle there. <laughs> don't do not do that. Just just get, just get a cab like everybody else. No. <laughs> I got to get the miles in. Um, so, yeah, after... After we sort of find out about this is when we see Bulmer die, right? Because at this point I was thinking, okay, there's got to be something going on here where Bulmer and Jane are trying to frame Peter Neal as the killer. That's what I was thinking in this particular moment. So the, um, immediately before Bulmer dies is when I figured out that my hunch that Peter was the killer becomes secured. It's because they show a flashback of you know, the Ava Robbins's character being stabbed to death, the, the woman who had the red high heels. And she's wearing the red high heels again when she gets stabbed to death. And then Jane is given a gift that is oh, the yeah, red. Oh, yeah, of is the red high heels. And then you, because the whole, like, Freudian flashback thing is a trope <coughs> in Giallo movies, another thing that Slasher took, it's a trope in a lot of Slasher movies, um i you now know okay so this is the original killer whoever this person is the high heels are a big part of it and the high heels are essentially tied to humiliation and so now you know that um i forget john Sachs, bulmer mm. and jane have had this affair and a very giallo thing that happens is that usually before a killing somebody says something that if you go back and watch the movie would be like okay that's how the killer knew where to find them just like in the first shoplifting thing you see the killer's pov outside yeah. of the guy's office when she's saying this is my address this is where i live so that's why the killer knew where her house was when he just shows up there same thing in the affair scene where you reveal the affair john saxon confirms their lunch date and says the time and place that they're gonna <laughs> oh, have. Yeah, yeah are you still coming for lunch yeah what here at the square at this time <laughs> Exactly. That's exactly what happens. And so I was like, okay, so one of them is going to. Oh be yeah, because he. 
because he left the room, the, didn't he? Peter left the room yeah, just he had before. Just left the room. So he obviously, if you go back That's and right. watch the movie, you can justify that he must have stood outside the room and heard that. So then I'm like, okay, so one of those two is going to die next because of that piece of information being revealed. And now we know these red shoes things. So that means the killing is triggered by this humiliation component from the flashback, the Freudian flashback. Well, who's being humiliated now? The affair oh, humiliates. Yeah. And so that's when I was like, okay, he's the killer. And he's what gonna... was, what was the significance of um, Bulmer when he was in the square witnessing like a couple breaking up and also like two guys just fighting. <laughs> I think that was kind of part of the random, you know, unmotivated violence thing that Argento was trying to comment on with okay. the, same thing, the dog and the homeless guy attack. Because um, Bomer was Bomer was loving it. He just like he saw two guys fighting. And he was like, Haha, "Yeah, yeah. classic." But then there was also randomly like the sweet kid who like loses his ball. Like, oh yeah, oh, the little kid. Great. Yeah. Um. So it was. I kind of felt like it was all kind of like a bit of a distraction that we were kind of like constantly yeah, looking, looking around. Yeah. So yeah. you're not expecting uh, the kill. And I guess what's interesting now is that the the weapon is is different as well. Um, yeah. And obviously we know that the weapons are different because I guess Cristiano, yes, he was the killer with the razor. Um, but now the killer has been replaced by somebody else. And the moment that I realized that the killer was Peter Neal was when he said he was going to Paris and then it didn't show him on the plane, but it showed the plane taking off. And I was like, ah, oh no, I'm not convinced unless I see him in the seat looking out the window. I'm not convinced. And that is that is the moment that I went, he's got to be the killer. That is a red heron. That's Showing funny. Plane I, taking off. I agree with you. And one of the criticisms of this movie um, is that they consider that a cheat that they he does that to mislead the audience and, and so it makes it so that you're not thinking that he's a mm. killer because he must be gone but i agree with you that that's actually an obvious red herring so i think yeah. it actually helps the audience figure out that he's the killer but i mean it does happen a lot of films isn't it where you're supposed to yeah. believe that somebody or oh, somebody can't have been involved because they're in they're in place a and everything's happening in place b but i'm like yeah but I, until i've seen that person in place a and I know for a fact that they can't get there in time. Uh, watching too many, too many episodes of like Murder She Wrote and stuff, where they're like, "Well, I think he drove, he drove back the forty-five minutes, killed, and then went home." Uh, but yeah, obviously a killing, a killing in broad daylight as well, like in the middle of a busy sort of, um, which is interesting. And again, something that things like Scream have replicated like with how Randy gets killed in Scream 2 just in broad daylight in the dragged into the van um it's just got like a different impact doesn't it when somebody gets killed in broad daylight cuz you're just like oh my god all bets are off all that's bets true. are off this guy's doing anything um so yeah that's that's Bulmer but pretty much it pans out that that Jane is going to get killed as well cuz she receives the shoes does she put the shoes on yeah yeah hang on a minute has someone died in these shoes no no you're <laughs> fine you're fine put them on lovely um and this is when gianni kind of starts working stuff out as well because he goes back to the scene of the crime um, her kill is iconic too though oh yeah yeah is, does the kill happen before or after gianni's kill i think it's after uh, it? <coughs> before uh, gianni gets killed first 
Gianni gets killed first, yeah, because he goes back, and that's when he remembers Cristiano saying to the killer before he got axed, "I yeah. killed them all. I killed them all." And then yeah. that is when Gian- Gianni realizes that. Um, what does he realize? Does he realize it's Peter? Essentially, he's not sure, but he just knows that he's got a piece of that, information there. Yeah, yeah, he's just he's found out more information. That's so mm. Peter's got to off him. And but, as he gets into the car to drive three blocks. Yeah, he gets... Comes back to haunt him. Garroted to death. But, uh, yeah. so that's another Giallo thing um, that is a giveaway if you're a big Giallo person, is when Bertie is killed, the, when you see it for the first time, you hear that same quote, I, I did it, I killed them all. But it's mm-hmm. from a wide, so you don't know who's saying it. And that's ah, why okay. Johnny goes back is because he's not sure. So the whole idea of okay. witnessing something but not being sure what you witnessed is happens a lot in jail. It happened right in the first Jallo with um, the girl who knew too much. She witnesses this, the protagonist, she witnesses this murder, but there's something off about it. And she thinks that if she can figure out what's off, she'll solve the murder. The same thing happens in um, The Bird with the Crystal Plumage, Argento's first giallo and the same thing happens in deep red there's always this like the the protagonist who witnesses a death or a murder rather trying to remember what they saw which is actually is a true thing about you know witnessing stuff right it's also Mm -hmm. funny when we're making fun of the like floating axe uh but johnny says that all he remembers is the axe that's like a um yeah uh, that's the thing that happens. Um, I myself last year uh, had a, a gun pulled on me in the street and pointed in my yeah. face. And when I was questioned by the police about it, I couldn't remember anything about the person, oh, wow. okay. what their face looked like, what they were wearing. Couldn't remember what his voice sounded like. Nothing. Because you do focus on yeah. the weapon. Um Wow. But anyways, I'm, yeah. That's, I, that's... I apologize to Gianni for that, uh, for, for, the, for the making fun of. But I would uh, argue, I would argue that if if it was somebody you knew, I don't think the same effect happened. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The yeah. yeah. Who pulled the gun on me in the street was my dad. I'm pretty sure I would have been like, Dad. Colin. Colin. We've got to, we've got to reveal it to you. We have arrested somebody. It's your dad. <laughs> Your old man was the one who pulled the gun on you. Now, I don't want to know the reasons for that. However, why don't you remember that? Yeah. So it's kind of like, a, yeah, it's like a PTSD thing or like a fight, fight or flight scenario where kind of like, yeah, I can, I can completely understand that. Definitely. Um, so, yeah. And then, we, yeah, we do get the kill with Jane now. So she sat at the kiss, kitchen table. She's got a pistol. She's thinking about killing herself, right? Yeah. Yeah. Not worth it. Don't do it. Well, she, doesn't have to. <laughs> she doesn't have to. She's like, can I do this? Can I do this? Can I do this? No. Um, and so basically uh, the, the unseen figure leaps through the window and hacks off her arm with the axe. Is the axe, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And then the um, awesome spray of blood. Oh, that's great. It's so good. It looks so frothy, doesn't yeah. it? It's beautiful. It is beautiful. Uh, all over the kitchen walls, she falls to uh, death. The killer continues like hacking at her, right? While she's on yeah. the ground. Yeah. Um, and this is where we kind of get the reveal. But still, I was a bit like, oh, I'm not, I'm still not, I don't know. 
I wasn't fully convinced. I still felt like the film was withholding something. Um, but essentially, as soon as we see Neil and we realize that he's not in Paris, we're like, oh, you bastard. What did you do? Did he pay for the ticket and just not go? Yeah. What a waste. What a waste of money. It worked out nicely for whoever got to sit with an empty That's true. Yeah. That's true. They're thinking, who the hell's paid for this? And not, oh, that's fine. You don't need to, you don't need to worry. You don't need it's to wonder. Um, and essentially, what happened was, upon learning that Bertie was killing people with his razor, Neil recovered this repressed memory uh, where he was obviously uh, humiliated in that sexual liaison scenario with everyone in the linen trousers. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, and he murdered the girl who had humiliated him when he was a youth in. It says in Rhode Island. Is that right? Correct. Yes. Rhode Island. It looks like a Greek island or something where they are. Where are they? Italy. So (laughs) I was like, yeah, it happened in Rhode Island, didn't it? It looks like you're in Crete. It's literally (laughs) lovely on a lovely beach. Uh, Everyone's (laughs) everyone's got like Mediterranean, Mediterranean tans, linen trousers. This is happening in Rhode Island. (laughs) What's going on? Um, So, yeah, that memory obviously tormented uh, Neil and then it inflamed this repressed bloodlust driving him insane and essentially like continuing. It says, I mean, it didn't really continue the stream of murders. It just allowed him to go and kill his agent and ex-fiance because in a way they humiliate. Yeah, that that affair is like humiliating him. That gets used in Giallo again to the idea of backpacking or piggybacking your own murders on those of an existing killer thinking that that killer will will you know take the blame oh, for it. yeah what else is that or is that just a jello uh, trope yeah it's just a trope in jail oh it's just a trope okay interesting yeah um so yeah in, I'm trying to think of another one do they do that in black belly of the tarantula it's possible or in or they might do it in the case of the bloody iris. I know there's one where it's like you see because the killer gets thwarted in the middle of a kill and then is arrested, and then the killings uh, keep then the killings carry on. Yeah, the person who's using that killer as a cover doesn't know that they got ah, thwarted, okay. so they keep in the killings. That's, like, that's, I mean, it's pretty ingenious, it. really. And it's like, what's that? I've 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 had a load of murders that I've been dying to get done. And I've just, I've never, fi- I've never found a moment to do it. Right? What's that? Yeah. <laughs> Someone's killing people. Rude not to. <laughs> Rude not to to get it done. It's like, it's like if someone's doing the dishes. Someone's washing up, and you're like, I got a couple of things actually. Yeah. Can you just? <laughs> no, no, no. Once I've started doing the dishes, you can't come over and add things to the to the pile already. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly the same um so again there's a bit of a uh so inspector altieri arrives here however i think we're supposed to think it's Anne, aren't we we, we completely skip we completely skipped over peter neil and Anne having a little bit of a, a thing because she mentions that she's been working for him for six years she's never once stayed over but she stays over i guess because yeah. both of them are feeling a bit unsafe Scared, you know yeah and then and then they get it on. She particularly likes hairy forearms. And uh, <laughs> but yeah, in this in this moment, we're supposed to think that he's killing Anne, but it's not. It's uh, 
and the, he just axes her and he just completely bludgeons over the axe. Although we know that's what's happening because we don't see her face. You're <laughs> like, well, yeah. obviously it's not who he thinks it is or they show her face. Yeah. Um, so after he does that, uh, that's, that's when Detective Germani and Anne arrive and then Neil's like, I oh, can't escape. But luckily, uh, <laughs> luckily I've got this device, right? And uh, I don't know, are you, are you familiar with the term blading in pro wrestling? Yes. Yeah, he basically does that. But yeah. honest, this is so complex. This thing, like, what are we supposed to believe that he's had this made yeah. recently? That he's Just always had it. Anytime he needs it. <laughs> so yeah, he slits his throat in front of them, and they go, "Well, he's dead. Let's go." <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing that's hilarious. Is like, that's how a cop would actually react to it. Like. Yeah, let's just leave the body here and deal with it later. It's time to go Cause, home. Yeah, because how many how many times in films does someone check the pulse of somebody and you go, well, they're obviously dead. Why are you checking the pulse? But you go, well, I suppose that's the you got to that's the rules. You got to confirm the death. This guy, <laughs> this guy don't care. What's that? Yeah. A little bit of blood coming out of his neck. He's fine. <laughs> He's dead. Sorry. He's definitely dead. Um, who knows how deep it went? But yeah, I was just fascinated by this because it looks good. This little thing he's got. Yeah, but. As as he as he always owned it, as he recently had it made, uh, who's making this? I guess like so I guess it's like a movie prop or something, right? <laughs> it's got to be. Yeah, it's even um, more meta. He uses a movie prop to kill himself in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, essentially, Germani and Anne go outside, report the incident from the car radio, and then Germani. No, they don't. No, That's no, the they best don't. Part. He says, let's I'll report it from the car. And then they go to the car and they have a little (laughs) conversation about how fucked up it was. And then he just goes back in for no reason. He never says why. And you know what? what They went out there for. I want to get another look at this dead body. I haven't seen many of dead bodies. You think working as a police detective, I would have seen loads. I haven't actually seen many. Let's go and have a look. (laughs) Oh, he's gone. God damn it. Um so how does he? How does Neil kill Germani in this? Is he just? That's another iconic shot that has been used in other films where he Germani leans down to get a, a piece of evidence uh, and yeah, he's yeah, standing yeah. behind him the whole time. So when he leans down, he reveals him, and then he axes him. Leans down to get a piece of evidence and makes it work as well. Well, that's cool. Oh wait a minute. <laughs> Hang on a minute. Axes him to death. Yes, it's a great shot. And again, that this huge metal sculpture like falls and like um, blocks the door. And I don't know. In this moment, I kind of thought I thought I knew what was going to happen, but it happened the opposite opposite way. I thought maybe Anne was going to open the door and the metal sculpture was going to fall on her. But I don't know why. I just kind of thought with. I don't know. It kind of felt like that That made more sense. But no, she opens the door, um, knocks over the metal sculpture, and it impales Neil. And I do like this this shot of him like desperately trying to like pull it yeah. out of his... Also, an excellent ending to a movie. Instead of going into some stupid tagged-on resolution, it's just yeah. screams. They blend the scream into the music as the credits roll, and that's it. Fantastic. Don't need to know anything... So we, we know the reasons <laughs> we know the reasons also, everyone's dead interesting casting note um okay argento originally wanted christopher walken for peter neal 
okay. and was disappointed that it didn't work out and he ended mm. up casting Anthony Franciosa instead. But a lot of people agree that it's actually better that that happened because you would have guessed Christopher Walken was the killer <laughs> right away. <laughs> <laughs> you definitely would have. Would it, yeah. um, surely you can't overdub Christopher Walken. No, I mean, Anthony Franciosa is doing his own voice in it. Oh, he is. It's, okay. So he's, not, okay. not everybody gets dubbed by somebody else. Usually the, the lead, okay. uh, especially if they're known, get dubbed themselves. Okay. Uh, That's good. Oh, it must be, must be a weird job to do that, to dub yourself in the in the wait but a dub in the language they were actually speaking as well right especially like yeah english yeah. actors or english speaking actors interesting uh yeah and that's the end that is the end of tenebrae which is great <laughs> which is great i mean i definitely had a lot of fun with it um so God, why have i done this why have I done it? Every time I go to start to say we're going to play the name game, I forget what I've written like five hours before. God. So I don't know if you're familiar with the, how the name game works, but I will explain it to you and then we'll give you an example and then hopefully you understand. I'm going to give you some synopsises. Synopsi. What's the, what's the right word for that? Synopsicals of a movie that sounds a bit like Tenebrae, but isn't right. Tenebrae. And the name of it will rhyme essentially <laughs> with Tenebrae. What the fuck am I with doing? Tenebrae. So are, yeah, that's right. say again. These these aren't real movies then. These aren't real movies. Okay. They sound like Tenebrae. And basically I'm gonna is it just very silly. Uh God's sake. I don't like any of the ones I've written down. I feel like I'm gonna humiliate myself. God that's damn. all right. I'm trying to think of a let me think of a famous person with this name. Okay, so based on this synopsis, an American writer in Rome is stalked and harassed by one of the stars of the new Scream movies who is... <laughs> no, no, I'm not going to do that one. That one sucks. That one sucks. I hate it. Okay. Um... <laughs> okay, here we go. An American writer in Rome is stalked and harassed by a serial killer who is murdering homosexuals using a famous dye <laughs> known for tattooing hands. Henna gay? Henna gay. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> I seem to write... Honestly, I see... <laughs> this... this is a bit dodgy, but we're going to do it anyway. An American writer in Rome is... <laughs> For fuck's sake. I'm sorry, I'm just laughing. It's... An American writer in Rome is stalked and harassed by a serial killer who is murdering everyone associated with his latest book, one of which is the host of a podcast called Horror Hangout. <laughs> and, wh and when he goes to leave in an Italian accent, he tells him to remain. This is awful. I'm so sorry. I don't know why I wrote it down. It's Ben and something. Stay. He, tell, he, he goes to leave and he and he says in Italian accent, tells him to remain. Ben a stay? Correct. <laughs> ben a stay. All right. 
Nice. I'm going. I'm off. I've had enough of this. I'm at, I can feel myself going red by how bad these are. Basically, this is the part of the show I usually leave up to Andy. Oh, and I like that. This one. is this is clearly why. Um okay. An American writer in Rome is stalked and harassed by a serial killer who is murdering everyone associated with his work on his latest book. He kills nine people, but then realizes he's miscounted and he's happy to realize he's killed one more. Ten, yay. Ten, Correct. hooray. <laughs> Ten, oh, yay. <laughs> he thought he'd killed nine. He realized he'd killed 10 and he's happy. I'm, ex- I'm, I'm not explaining it to you. I'm, <laughs> I'm explaining it to me just so I know. So basically, a few hours before this, I write down a little, a li- just write down a little, a little script of some things I'm going to ask you. And this name game part, I think I was in extreme tired mode when I did it. Henna gay, Benna stay, ten oh yeah. That's all I've got, unless you've got any from me, Colin. It's tough. This it's yeah, a tough one to do, isn't it? It is tough. It's also, tenebrae is not a. It's a tough. Uh, it's only one the, word, which makes it limiting. The first one I was going to say was. An American writer in Rome is stalked and harassed by a serial killer who is murdering everyone associated with the new Scream movies, one of the stars of which, also the star of the TV show Wednesday. <laughs> I don't even know what the end, how I'm going to put the end bit in. Uh, one of the stars of the Scream movies and the, the TV show Wednesday while she's in a horizontal position on her back. <laughs> horizontal <laughs> position on her yeah. back yeah Jenna Lay correct <laughs> <laughs> now I, I know what you're thinking like this, Is... that was an overly elaborate they're right. often overly they're often overly elaborate. Your your reaction to one of them, which was what is how <laughs> I react to Andy pretty much every single week, where I just go, huh? Because he usually puts in some sort of like really complicated deep dive pop culture reference, usually to something British as well, which no one else is gonna know. <laughs> and I'm trying to gotta work it out like that. That's all I'm gonna give you, Colin. I apologize for that. You got four out of four. Oh, lovely. It's lovely. You did get four out of four. That is that's good. It's impressive. Just gonna have to put this in here because me and Colin both completely forgot to to rate the movie. We obviously got so taken in by that edition of Name Game that I completely forgot to to just for a whole section of the actual podcast. So, in terms of rating the movie, I have messaged Colin today and asked him how he would like to rate the movie, and he's given it an A. <clears throat> which is to be expected, I think, based on his relationship with Jello and the fact that this is one of his favourites. Um, and I'm going to go for a straight B for my ranking. Um, well, this has been fun, Colin. Thank you. Uh, where, where, where can our listeners keep up to speed with you and obviously with with Bath Bomb and everything that happens with that? Now it's been funded. Um, bathbombhorror.com brings you to the campaign which you can still and should still give money to and um, bath bomb horror is what we are on instagram and twitter and facebook and then myself i am only on instagram 
and it's just my name, Colin G. Cooper, no spaces or periods or underscores or any of that jazz. Mm. And, uh, yeah, that's... Or if you, if you read it fast, like I do, I always read it as Colin Cooper. That too, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I will put all the links to that, of course, in the show notes. I'm really appreciative for this, what has been like a, a jallow, uh, well, a jallow expert talking us through all of the all of the ins and outs of the genre and me a jallo what would you call me jallo idiot jallo noob jallo yeah. noob and yep. you know th- that's a good cross-section i think when we've got that if we had two jallo experts people would tune in and go i can't connect with this yeah one jallo well, expert and one jallo idiot <laughs> uh okay so thank you uh for listening if you enjoyed the show become a patron over at patreon.com forward slash horror hangout thanks to our current patrons including john crinnan ben scaife stephen christopher toby miller lane spencer ollie child ollie child leslie carlo julia bilgren nick spill troy bursch rosalind harnies and pazuzu thanks to taj easton for our theme music thanks to acast for hosting the show please consider giving us a rating a review head over to the facebook group horror hangout board of advisors for more we're on twitter instagram facebook and tiktok uh and next week we'll be talking all about insidious with author nico bell so i look forward to that uh but thank you very much again for joining us colin it's been fun nice one see you later then <laughs> bye bye now you can say bye so you can bye bye now bye bye even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns hey it's Paige desorbo from giggly squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to quince i'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters sleek leather jackets fine jewelry and so much more with quince being 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands and they partner with factories that prioritize safe ethical and responsible manufacturing i love that Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.